Welcome to Rogue Bows. This is episode 34 of the basketball series. Kind of uh, not a whole lot of news out there basketball-wise. We've got a few little things to talk about. But we, Pro, we just had a, a really good interview with something that's kind of out of left field. And I really enjoyed it. And that will, that will play shortly. How did you find it? Well, I got my pocket protector on and my 40-year-old virgin um, poster up on the fucking wall just psyched up about it. So I was psyched to talk, talk to those stat guys and um, I thought that their site, you know, you use it all the time. You were the one who told me about it and um, it's a inter- they're interesting guys and the story was pretty interesting how they sort of started the company, what their vision is and sort of what they do on the day-to-day. It was pretty cool. Yeah, so later on in this podcast, about an hour in, we did an interview with the gentlemen and founders and CEOs, uh, CEO of uh, StatMuse, which is a, a very interesting website. And they don't just do stats, as we found out. They do a lot, a whole lot of other things, but just something that um, was really interesting for us and their technology, I think you'll find very interesting. So stay tuned for that later on in this podcast. But uh, let's get started. There were a few trades. The one of note was the Eric Bledsoe trade. Run us through that, Pro. Yeah, so- Memphis and it was a little weird. So Mem- the Clippers get Eric Bledsoe. Memphis gets Be- uh, Patrick Beverly, Rajon Rondo, and Daniel uh, Atoro. And it was pretty interesting for the Clippers because they get another player that could sort of help them and another guard that could sort of handle the ball, defend. Um, his contract is very heavily non-guaranteed uh, next year. So if it, you know, if it works out, they got, they got him at a decent number, you know, Bledsoe, but his contract, I believe is only guaranteed for, you know, uh, for $3 million the following year. So it could actually save them up to like 20 or $30 million on the, on their luxury tax bill. So, and then Memphis ended up trading Patrick Beverly to Minnesota for Jared Culver and, uh, Juan, uh, Juan Herman Gomez. So yeah, it's an interesting deal. Rondo's on the move. And, you know, Beverly gets tr- traded again to, you know, to Minnesota. So, yeah, interesting deal. What do you think about that stuff, Bob? I think Bleslow is an upgrade on Beverly offensively. Um, not many people would ever say Bledsoe would be an upgrade offensively on somebody, but I think he is. I think they're similar defenders. Um, you know, Beverly's starting to break down a little bit, so they, they, get a, they don't lose anything defensively, replacing Beverly with Bledsoe, and they get a little bit better offense from Bledsoe as well. Um, so I think that's that's all good. Makes sense to me. I like the balance that the Clippers are going to get with that non-guarantee. I think that was genius getting him in for – you're basically renting for a year at a premium salary and then seeing how it works out. So I don't mind all that. What about you, Pro? Rajon Rondo is your guy. Is he going to hang around there? Are going to ask for a buyout? I don't know. It's interesting what what's going to happen with that. And, you know, I, obviously – you know, he wants to be on a, a team that, you know, has a chance to win a championship. I would think that uh, he'll probably weigh his options. I think, like, he likes coming off the bench. They got John Morant, and he could come off the bench. And they got a, they sort of got a nice team in Memphis, to be honest. I wouldn't say they got a chance to win a championship, not even close. I'm saying, you know, maybe win a couple of games in the first round next year, maybe even a little bit better than that. But uh, I don't know. It's a good question if he's going to try to move or not. I haven't heard any information coming in the media or, you know, away from the media about what's going to happen there. I would think that the Lakers would, would have maybe some interest in bringing him back if, if there was a buyout situation. Um, I know they're, they're pretty full roster-wise as of now, but, you know, it's always good to have a guy like that coming off the bench. I would think it's a good fit in Memphis, to be honest, because, again, John Morant, they got all, you know, he could back him up. He likes coming off the bench. 
it, it's pretty interesting. But he's got seven and a half million guaranteed this year, and there's no there's a sort of no rush to do anything. And so if there's going to be something happening, they'll probably buy him out minus a um, a veteran minimum contract, and you know so he can get the veteran minimum wherever he signs with. But I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, they'll be they'll be. I mean, the ceiling for Memphis next season, in my opinion, if they make the second round, that's equivalent to a championship. For them, you know, that's a that's a so I guess your point about Rondo maybe wanted to chip up again before the end of his career. That's why I'm interested in that, and that's why I brought that up because that's a guy that potentially, um, you know, and unfortunately, no one really wants to be in Memphis. It just is what it is. Uh, most guys that are there don't want to they don't want to stay there for whatever reason. Small market, you know, blah blah blah. But the other one, I thought, look, Beverly cops a lot of shit, but. This might. This is kind of a piece that Minnesota needs now. How guys on that roster respond to a Beverly? Uh, we, we, you know, we've heard rumors historically with Jimmy Butler being too in your face and aggressive and vocal and hurting guys' feelings, and that wasn't well received in the locker room, which is just a testament of, of how life is today. But. They needed some toughness, and Beverly is breaking down a little bit. He is a bit older. You don't always agree with the way he goes about it, but one thing you can't deny, he's a tough son of a bitch, and he's going to get into people. I think they need that. I think it's an underrated move from Minnesota. It's not going to put him over the top, but I think he can create just a whole lot more professionalism in that locker room and, and just hold guys accountable and bring some toughness to the floor, which is what arguably Minnesota don't have. They, they're they super talented team on paper every year for the last five years it seems they just you know they're the it's the mo on them is they're soft and they just don't have toughness um how do you how do you see that beverly deal do you agree with me or you think it's just a nothing deal no i mean they need it they definitely need it i mean look they've got they've got edwards to deal with he's got to get better you know they've got they got d'angelo russell there they've got some guards there i would think that he'd be the starting point guard you know, um, with Jordan McLaughlin coming off the bench, the young kid they have, but you know, they definitely need some veteran leadership. You know, Beverly's been in some big games. He's obviously he's an alpha dog. I think he'd be good to sort of manage D'Angelo Russell a little bit too. You know, take D'Angelo off the ball a little bit, gives him a little bit more defensive toughness. I watched them a little bit last year. I thought their defense is just okay. I think Beverly, you know, he is breaking down a little bit. He is a little older, but I think it's. It's a good player to give. It gives anytime you can get a guy who's tough like that and a little nuts. I think it's good to have. Like he's a, you know, he's you need at least one guy like that on every team. And I think that that you know he he definitely fits a role for them. And I think he'll be he'll be solid. He'll definitely be a solid presence for that team. I think it's a good pickup. Yeah, it can't hurt. I mean, it's a guy that's at least he'll pick up full court. He'll get into guys. He'll try to, you know, on those cold, dreary nights in Minnesota when there's no atmosphere and it's not the best uh, kind of city at times to play in when they're not winning. He can maybe bring a bit of that energy that's that's much needed on those those dog days in game 44 and 45 of the season. So we'll see how that works out. Joel Embiid signed a contract extension, $196 million. I mean, kind of a no-brainer to an extent, but I don't think there's any provisions for injuries and games played in this one, Pro. I haven't found anything online with it, and that was a huge huge deal on his last one um, all I could find that is the final year of his of his deal is um, is an option this is interesting on two fronts because they're all in on a championship and he's a big part of getting them there if they get there second part is the Ben Simmons thing you know they've now obviously committing to Embiid that didn't finish up well with Ben we've discussed many times where that goes so I found this one interesting in multiple facets yeah you know it's funny like there's a lot of people saying why they give him the money they should have done this. They should have done that. Look, like, there's no way they weren't giving him this contract. I mean, there was no, zero chance. He was definitely going to sign it. They were definitely going to give it to him. He's got all the cards right now because they're all in on it. Without him, 
you know, look, the Simmons thing is going south. We all know that. We've talked about that too much, actually. We talk about it every day, every show, because it's been news. So that's going to go south. They're going to trade, you know, most likely move on from him. They need one anchor on their roster that they could say, look, he's going to be here long term, you know, because you don't know what's going to happen on this Simmons deal. You know, how this, you know, what you're going to get, what if that player is going to be with you long term. So they need somebody. I don't, I wouldn't think that, I would think Embiid's side would be like, you know, a full guarantee, no, no provisions with injury or anything, just because, look, they can't, they cannot, they cannot get back Embiid in a trade. So if they wanted to trade Embiid, they're not getting a, a player as good as Embiid. You're going to get a bunch of guys maybe in the 20s and 30s rank wise. You're not going to get a top five player, you know, for Embiid. None of those guys are sort of up for trade. They were sort of stuck. They had to do this deal. They're all in on, on Embiid and they're going to build around him. They've got a bunch of role players, you know, high level role players around him. You know, there's really no getting around doing this deal. So it'll be interesting going forward to how he sort of takes this, you know, because there's a lot of pressure now. You know, this is a huge contract. Um, he's got to produce. He's got to produce wins. You could blame it on Doc. You could blame it on Daryl. You could blame it on Simmons. But this guy is the best player on this team. And their playoff sort of push or shortcomings is going to rest on his shoulders, especially with that money. You know what that fan base is like. It's a fucking, Ooh. it's a creep show. Yeah, and they, they better start getting in some conference finals. And I don't even think that's going to be enough. They're, they're, they're all, I mean, I've noted this, the whole trust the process, the ultimate tank fest, which was a good three or four year period there in Philly was for this very moment of we'll eventually get that chip because we're stacking with young talent. The window is slowly closing there, bro. Joanna B is getting no younger. He's got an injury history as well, which is a concern. I just don't think they have enough on that roster. I, I think it's, I don't like the Tobias Harris-Ben Simmons fit. Um, I never did. I, I just don't think it. I, don't, I just don't like it. It seems clunky to me. And you throw Joel in there, who's kind of contradicts the style that Ben plays, and Ben contradicts the style that Joel plays. It just, it's just, you know, they've had talented rosters. They've, they've arguably had rosters that should have been right there at the end. I mean, the Kawhi Leonard shot, obviously, one crazy. Game winners, you know, probably we would have played Philly in that in that uh, conference finals that year I was there um, in Golden State. So that could have changed a lot. But um, yeah, just just absolutely crazy. And you just don't you don't think about that when you're going through you know the tough times. To then oh now we're building something good, but that the window people don't think about this window. That's if they if they suck for, not suck, but if they first round exit, second round exit for the next two or three years, I think we're going to be talking about. The blow up of where where can they move Joel Embiid to get because he's going to want his chip eventually and go through that whole process and now it's now or never for Philly. So if you're a Philly fan, you're you're pushing all every single chip in the house to the table and you don't get something the next two or three years. I think that window is going to pass and you might have to trust the process all over again. Bogues, I just don't see a good exit strategy for this. I, I think that you know, like I said, I don't know what you're going to get back in the future for Embiid. If you did even want, if you want to move on from, they're not going to move on from him for a while, obviously. But if you wanted to, you're not going to get much back from Simmons. You're going to get. We talked about it. McCollum probably. They're waiting out. They're all in on trying to get Dame Lillard to be as unhappy as possible and try to force a trade to Philly. But again, if I'm Portland, I'm not doing that. I, there's nothing on Philly that you're going to give me that they would give us that I would want. 
to trade McCollum. Maybe I would do a Simmons for McCollum deal. We talked about it in prior episodes, but I'm not doing an Embiid deal. I don't think they're good enough. I don't think Philly's good enough to win with this roster. And then you look at Brooklyn. You know they're making pushes. Milwaukee's already there. Atlanta's making a push. Miami, will you know, be better. Miami, mm. Miami will be better. So, and then don't forget about the dark horse that's coming down in a couple of years with Boston. You never know with those two guys and Tatum and Brown, and they got cap space. We'll talk about we'll talk about the other couple of deals they signed uh, recently, and then they've got their young core. They're gonna they're gonna probably get rid of Horford next year. You know, and he's got a, a short guarantee or a non-guarantee on the. I forgot whether he's guaranteed on the ne- next year's deal. So th- they'll open up about twenty-five to thirty million bucks in cap space, and they can go after somebody. Even though the the free agent pool is not going to be great, but they could still get a piece to put with those two guys. I think Tatum will be better. You know, I, I I'm not a huge Tatum fan. You know, as far as what he brings every night, especially defensively. But they've got talent and they've got cap room. And they got a young coach that might be able to do something. So with the Philly deal, I don't like where they're going. I don't. I think that it's too heavy on two players that don't really fit together. And then their their role players. I love Thibel, um, but they don't really have much more than that. They got a couple of de- decent young players, but um, I really like Thibel. But you know, I, I just don't think that uh, that they got enough. And then. You know, you're going to go down this rabbit hole of, all right, we're going to trade Simmons from McCollum. Do you re-sign McCollum long-term when his deal's up? What are you going to do with Simmons? I mean, uh, with, you know, Embiid, is he going to be healthy, in shape, in tune, even though he's so talented? So, yeah, I don't like where they're going. And I think there's a couple other teams that are sort of there that are above them. And then you never know about New York. You don't know about Boston. You don't know, you know, Miami's always going to be stacked a little bit with their young talent. So, yeah, it's interesting, man. Indiana, Ricardo, never know them either. So Chicago, you know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, question marks, but yeah, Philly. I think it's now or never. That's pretty obvious. Um, we'll follow that closely. Marcus Smart almost got this one r- wrong, pro, and you just alerted me before we uh, started. You actually read the notes for once. I think that was the more impressive thing for me. Um, I I, hear I thought it was my t- I thought it was my actually my takeout menu to be honest. So I apologize <laughs> for that, but yeah, it ended up working out. For some reason at one point during the week it was announced as four years, fifty two million, but uh, no, it's actually four. Well, he's 77 million. So, do, I mean, what's what's $26 million, Pro? Ah, nothing. Ah, nothing. No. So, Marcus Smart, four years, $77 million. Look, I like him. He's a tough guy. It's, it's can, it smells a little bit like an overpay for keeping him, but, I mean, someone would have poached him. What I found interesting in all of this was a tidbit from Shams. I'm told Smart is slated to become the starting point guard for the Celtics this coming season. Well, obviously, it was $77 million, You'd think that. Um, but I'm not a fan of teams promising minutes. Um, because so much can go wrong. Let's say, you know, the, co- the coach says, uh, we, we feel like we want you to be the Andre Iguodala. Still a huge, valuable role. You're going to finish games. You're still playing 30 a night, but we need you to balance out our bench mob off because our bench sucks right now. We need to we need to balance that out a little bit with a bit more kind of steadiness in that lineup. And Marcus is like, well, hang on a second. I was promised to start. That, that's why I, I don't like teams that promise minutes as now are part minority owner for the Sydney Kings going through free agency, which we're going through right now. We've had we've had players request that and I'm emphatic against saying no because a lot can change, injuries form, and then you promise that and it doesn't equate that way, then the player gets down on, on, on the organization, the coach. And um, it was just an interesting one I found, Pro. I mean, how do you how, what do you think about promising minutes for guys regardless of contract? I'm not a huge fan of it. I, I'm a fan of like competition. Put 
you know, my mentor, Chris Wallace, always said, lock them in the closet and see who comes out and just say, hey, look, you know, especially after you've got a little leverage now, you sign the guy, he's with you. And, you know, unless they did it, unless they did it to sign him, you know, to the deal and say, look, we're, we're going to promise you this. I'm not a big fan of doing it. I don't think that that was probably said, to be honest. But you, you never know. Unless you're there, it's really hard to say if something really happened or not. But yeah, I, I think it would be a bad promise to promise the guy that. But then, like, here's your deal. You got Schroeder who's coming, who actually is probably better off coming off the bench. But I wouldn't want Marcus Smart as my starting point guard. I would rather him, like, as off the ball, being able to guard people, you know, make plays, you know, other types of hustle plays and spot up plays and straight line drives and handoffs and things. But I really wouldn't want to, you know. He's a very good passer, though. He's a very good passer. So he's an underrated. Yeah, he people is. People don't realize he's a very. He's made made some really good reads at times with some fancy passes and like he's got a good feel. So I can see why they're looking at that. But yeah, that's the other thing: promising a position on the floor, um, not only minutes, but but promising you're going to play this position solely. What happens if they move him off the ball ten games in because they're five and five? You know, you just you just got to be careful as an organization and promising minutes. Um, and I, I agree with you. I think Schroeder's role in the NBA off the bench, you just let him loose, a la an old school, you know, Jamal Crawford or a Jordan Clarkson type role from the guard spot. Where you just let him let him go and let him get buckets for you off the bench can really provide some scoring. Moving on from that, Draymond Green and Kieran Durant sat down for an interview, which was, you know, it's been big news because you ever rarely see this two guys that were deemed as absolute enemies. And I was there for, you know, a couple of months of that and 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 it was okay. Like it wasn't it wasn't toxic, but it definitely wasn't, you know, where they were hanging out every day. Um, you could definitely sense a little bit of it wasn't I wouldn't say it was attention, it was just that there was it wasn't awkwardness at times and, and that, that was them trying to rekindle their relationship about what happened. But we both found it interesting because essentially it's the organization has has faced the blame um, completely. So Draymond Green had mentioned that he said that when they flew home from that Clippers game, they landed at the airport uh, private terminal there that they land in that um, the Warriors brass, I think, believe Kerr and Bob Myers had Draymond Green in a room for an hour and a half and had basically trying to trying to convince him at the end of it. We're trying to say, you know, we want you to apologize. Um, I found it funny because Draymond said he laughed in their face <laughs> when they said he needed to apologize, and he said that threw them in a loop because they didn't, they didn't real, they couldn't know like, why the hell are you laughing? And he was just, I was just laughing because it was so silly. And Draymond's point with all this and Kevin's to an extent was. Like we were already somewhat trying to rekindle our relationship and we were trying to, um, we would have just let it evolve naturally and figure it out. Um, and that they were just trying to push so much that it became even worse than it was. So there's two ways to take this. It's, it's, you know, we're, we're going to just put ourselves away from the fire and, and blame someone else for starting it, or there could be some truth to it. I mean, you know, where they wanted to handle it themselves, but the organization's point of view is when you're in the team is you want to put that fire out as quickly as possible because you got to practice the next day, you got a game the next day, you got development going on with young guys, you don't want that hostility. So how do you see it? Do you see it as, as a fair comment or do you see it as just we'll just place blame on the organization and get the heat off us? I mean, Bogues, like it, it's funny. It's, a, it's an interesting take because they, ne- they had all this time, you know, over a year or so, two years, you know, to actually – say this is what happened and it was always you know it was never said like not one person ever said it was always the organization's fault it was hey this guy was on this page this guy was on this page and they just didn't mix i don't know i wasn't there any every day so it's hard for me to say and read on it 
I do know that organizations sometimes do fuck these things up because they try to force, you know, they try to force players to get back on the same page. I get it. I've been in that role before where, you know, something was wrong in the locker room and I was, you know, I had to try to help fix it, you know, because I was sort of in on a, on a situation. And it's, it's, a, it's a very finicky thing. But I never had to do it on a level like this where two players that was like polarizing figures didn't get along like that. So... I don't know. I never heard anything about them trying to rekindle. I don't really get into the fucking TMZ bullshit that teams go through. But I never heard of that. I always heard that they just sort of didn't like each other. You know, and they got under each other's skin for one reason or another. But do you think it's fair to, that, you know, Steve Kerr and Bob Myers and then brunt the flame of this? That's that's kind of what it felt like in the interview. It felt like, you know, we're putting it on the organization. They fucked this up. We're, we're you know, cleaning our hands. But I think it's a bit of both. But you know, I mean, look, for the listeners out there, the way this usually works is when there's a, a fight between two players, and that was huge news because one of the best players in the world and then and then obviously one of the most important cogs for the Warriors' success in winning championships in Draymond Green and then one of the best players in the world in Kevin Durant, which copped a lot of shit for, for you know, going over there. So, people were looking just to nitpick, but the way it usually works is when there's when there's a, an argument between players, um, organizations will try to stem the blow immediately but sometimes it just takes you just need three or four days to cool off and the guys might not talk or say a word to each other right but because you're you're in close quarters so much with that guy that you just had a fight with it's eventually human nature is one person's eventually gonna be like hey man like all right let's just put it behind us you know because you're sitting next to each other in the locker room you, you see each other in the showers the training room guys getting treatment um you're lifting weights with that guy you might be doing shooting draw together so psychology says eventually you know, those guys, it just takes so much energy to just shun each other and not talk that eventually it's going to work itself out. So, sometimes there's an argument of like, let that let that shit fester for two or three, four days and they have their conversation and then it's over with. Um, whereas I think Golden State thought, shit, we need to jump on this straight away. It's national world news, really. This video has gone viral. Um, we're, we're, we're copping shit. They're copping shit. The organization looks bad. So, they were probably trying to stem the blow. So, I see it from both points of view, but do you think it's fair that it's just being put on 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 Myers and Kerr in that interview? No, I, I don't think so. And I think mostly with NBA players, they especially when two players have beef like that, and they get they go at each other, or they they they've sort of had some history. When they get together, it's always going to be they'll never really confront each other about the issue. They'll just throw it on something else. And I think it's easy to throw it on the team, to be honest with you. So I think that it's a little unfair, but like. Hey, look, everybody wants content these days. You know, this stuff gets lost in translation a lot over the years. And then you could just sort of put whatever spin on it that you want. I don't really care either way. It doesn't, doesn't affect my day to day, but I think it is a little unfair because, you know, look, they obviously had an issue, you know, and I'd rather them talk about their issues if you really want great content, you know, as long as it's not too personal. You know, and then and then talk it out. I think it's easy to blame a team. Then again, it's easy for teams to blame the player. Like you know, you're never going to get the true story on this stuff. It's always going to be like some other thing, you know, that they just throw on the easy way to do it. So now, like the headline, as usual, you know, because every all the fucking media picks it up. Oh, Golden State's to blame this and that, and instead of like, hey, look, it was two guys that couldn't get on the same page. They're just not really wired for each other. You know, and that's it. And sometimes it takes those guys being away from each other for a little bit and they could just squash it, you know. But like you said, in the real season, I've been around teams where a coach or someone tried to like 
force their way into, you know, to get these two guys to be on the same page. And it never works that way. That's why it always helps to have somebody, a couple of guys on staff. One guy will talk to one player. One guy will talk to the other and say, look, you're not, you don't have to be best fucking friends. No one's going to ask you to shake hands or do anything like that shit. You do your thing. They'll do theirs. Let this thing cool off. And then, but you can't, it can't be a nuisance. It can't be a distraction. You know, teams like, that's the problem. It's big news when it happens. If you just calm the fuck down instead of being like, oh, we got to deal with this right now. No, you don't have to deal with it right now. No one gives a fuck. Let them write this story. They're going to talk. They're going to, they're going to print the story they want to do anyway. Let this thing just simmer down. It'll take care of itself because nine times out of 10, when you try to provoke this shit, because you're fucking scared of the, and you bend over for the media, then like you're going to fuck this thing up internally. And that's what happens in most of these situations. You usually get non-basketball people dealing with basketball situations. And then you think you get things way worse than they already are. Just let them simmer. Have your guys on staff, non-head coaches, talk to the players. Just say, hey, look, I get it. Just calm down. We're good. You don't have to fucking hang out with a guy and go to dinner with him. But you're on the same team if you like them or not. Fake it, but like it just can't be an issue. It can't be a, a like it can't be an open thing all the time because guys always blow up at each other. We've seen it. Oh man, I've had teammates throw punches and then eat a meal the next morning together at breakfast. You know, it's that's it. It gets frustrating at times for everyone. You're in a losing streak. The pressure's on. You're a free agent. The other guy's a star. The coach is about to get you know pressure builds and something stupid happens. You, the, the thing is that next day or the day after, at least within the week, you got to try to move on from it, and and that's that's the harshness of it. But um, yeah, it was just an interesting one just to to get their points of view. And I mean, the shit rated off its mind because people love that gossipy shit more than the game itself. So it was um, no doubt something we had to bring up. Isaiah Thomas made some. Uh, in my opinion, delusional comments. Former former uh, Detroit Piston Isaiah Thomas um, and former head coach of the Indiana Pacers, where he said, in regards to the Jermaine O'Neal, which I haven't watched yet, so we'll talk about that next week. The um, what was it called? Jermaine O'Neal. Malice in the Palace. I forgot the name of it. Jermaine O'Neal produced it, and you said it was good, right? Oh, it was fantastic. I think anyone should watch it. And most people, when I mention it to them, they're like, "Ah, oh, I fucking heard that story that's a thousand I said. times." That's what I said. Yeah, yeah, that's what you said too. But like, it's great because they go behind the scenes. They talk about how the team was formed. It was mostly out of you know Jermaine O'Neal, Reggie Miller, Stephen Jackson. Uh, those guys did mo- Donnie Walsh. Those are the guys that did most of the talking, and they just explained it. They had all these different camera angles because they had a hundred cameras, literally a hundred cameras that that the, the government and the authorities had to go through to try to like you know charge everybody to do it. Yeah, and basically, you know, Ron Artest spoke a lot, and it was good, man. It, it was really good. But yeah, those Isaiah, go ahead, explain the Isaiah Thomas deal. Yeah, so he, he basically had said, so he he had got fired. The, was it the year before he got fired, right? And Rick Carlisle. He got Dakota. fired. Yeah, he got fired. Two yeah, about before. a year or two yeah, later. It was anyway. He was the previous coach before Rick Carlisle, and he said, "Had I not got fired, I believe I'd won a championship with that team." Now that's arguable. If you know Rick Carlisle, maybe would have won a championship if they didn't suspend half their team. But he followed on with that and said, "I don't believe there would have been a malice in the palace because I don't believe the Pistons fans would have reacted and acted that way with me coaching that team." So. 
He's basically, I mean, what was he going to do? I mean, Ron Artest and Ben Wallace get into it. Their big boys are going to stand in the middle of the court a la Larry Brown. Like, was Larry Brown? No, uh, Van Gundy in New York. Is that what he's going to do? Like, it just, I was like, is this guy delusional? What, what were you going to do? There was obviously someone threw a beer at a player lying on the bench. I mean, I don't, I mean, Isaiah Thomas at times has said some delusional things, and I think this just adds to the list. That was as delusional as fucking delusional can get, you know, and it mostly comes from like star play ex players that think that, you know, that like people really remember like that are, are going to bow down to them, you know, based on their history with the team. Look, if you watch the, if you watch, you know, when you watch the documentary, you know, those fans were fired up. They were getting their ass kicked. You got Ron Artest who was fucking sprawled out on the fucking scores table, which is embarrassing as fuck. And you're, you're getting your ass, you're getting your ass kicked. You got some fucking drunk, unruly fucking, you know, Hitler youth rally motherfucker that threw the thing. They, you saw that. They, they actually like, they staked that guy's house out when they found out it was him. Cause, you know, if you watch the thing, they went after the wrong guy. You know, initially they went after the wrong guy and this guy cold cocked, uh, like they cold cocked the player. After, like, they go after the wrong guy, this guy fucking, you know, pu- throws a punch at a player, and then the, the whole thing escalates. There was no way Isaiah Thomas would have, like, they would have, oh, Isaiah Thomas coaching the team. We're, we're going to be okay. Fuck that. Like, what, is he, he going to get a microphone mid-punch and be like, hey, guys, I'm Isaiah Thomas, former Detroit Piston. Can yeah. you guys please stop fighting? <laughs> what? Yeah, come on. What fuck world out are here. you living in? Did they mention the... um? I've, I've got to watch it this week, but did they mention the comment that Ron Artest made in the locker room right after all that happened? Yeah, they mentioned, oh, am I going to get in trouble or something like yeah. that? They mentioned all of that <laughs> stuff. Those guys fucking hate Ron Artest, by are the we, way. Are you guys you, you guys think we're going to get fined for this? We're going to get in trouble? <laughs> yeah, all that shit was oh, talked about. Man. And it, it's, fuck, it, it's fucked. It basically said how he basically fucked Reggie Miller's last year. He fought, you know, basically fucked, you know, Jermaine O'Neal. Jermaine was, was having a that great was stacked year. Team. That was stacked team. That was stacked for the chip. They, they, they put together a yeah. pretty good roster. I had a great Isaiah Thomas story, by the way. So, Boston, we, I told you about this before. Boston had a summer league, you know, and, you know, before Vegas really got big. And it was a pretty big deal. And Isaiah just took over the team in Indiana. Now, you may not remember this name. Do you remember Billy Curley, the name Billy Curley? Uh, Billy Curley, no. So, Billy Curley was this white dude, McDonald's All-American, played at Boston College, was an NBA player for like nine or ten years, you know, multiple teams. It's sort of like a, you know, a journeyman, right? So, his brother, big Sasquatch kind of guy named Mickey Curley, um, played in the CBA, you know, which was the D League before the D League. And Isaiah Thomas took the league over. So the CBA bogues was filled with these teams on all, all these Hoboken fucking towns across the country. You know, never a major city, always a city in the middle of nowhere. And they, they did really well by themselves because they were in the middle of nowhere. They had, you know, most of the teams had like good fan bases, local sponsorship. You know, they were doing well on their own. Their contracts, they were paying their guys pretty well in comparison to, you know, to how guys get paid in the minor leagues. So they had this good sponsorship deal. The league was running well. You know, it, it wasn't making a shitload of money, but it was making good money. So Isaiah Thomas like buys the league and then he like wipes out local sponsorship. So he's basically said, you're not allowed to have local sponsorship. We're going to get national sponsors. So he gets like a million dollars from like BET for the league, right? A million dollars sponsorship for the league. And then he got like a couple of small sponsorships, but it was nothing 
compared to the local sponsorships to again. And then there's like a SI article, how we fucked the league. They lost money. The league basically went under in about two years because he had all these family members taking like VP jobs, Shocker. opening up offices all across <laughs> the country. Yeah. So, okay, there, there you go. So this kid, Mickey Curley, played on one of the teams and the league went under. So he owed him like, you know, he's owed like 800 bucks or something like that in salary. He wasn't a very good player. He was a big 6'10 slow guy. So anyways, packed league. I was sitting with a friend of mine, Frank Catapano, who's an agent, longtime agent, Dorian Finney-Smith's agent. And we were just sitting there watching the game. So like Mark Aguirre and Isaiah Thomas are signing autographs in the gym. Pat, gym's packed. You know, probably like six, 7,000 people in there. So he's signing autographs. So Mickey Curley, like Mickey's like a burly, fun guy. He walks by him. He goes, hey, Isaiah, you still owe me 700 bucks from the CBA, you, you, you know, you clown or something like that. Just joking. So he walks, you know, up the bleachers where we were sitting. He walked past us. He goes, yeah, I just told that asshole fucking Isaiah Thomas he owes me money. So lo and behold, he goes up like three minutes later, Isaiah Thomas and Mark Aguirre are running up the fucking steps and challenges this guy to a fight. There's like 40 people that had to fucking break the thing up. I thought it was completely fucking hilarious. Here's this like ham and egger telling fucking Isaiah Thomas he owed him like 600 bucks. You didn't think it's a big deal. And all of a sudden, Isaiah Thomas and Mark Aguirre are going to start this fucking uh, malice in the palace before the malice in the palace and this division three gym in Boston. I thought it was a pretty funny fucking thing, you know. Just you know, this guy. Just and that just goes. Me. That just goes back to his delusion. Like you're gonna fight a guy over a comment about six hundred dollars. Like, <laughs> dude, what are you doing? But yeah, that's a that's a delusional comment. That thing would have happened. You know, the, the, again, I definitely highly recommend anybody watching it. I didn't. I wasn't gonna watch it, but then like from the point of view that they were gonna have, and uh, a friend of mine. You know, a longtime friend of mine told me to watch it, and I was like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll give it a watch." And I watched it last night; it was really good. Yeah, but Isaiah's had some 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 poor form. He was very well spoken when he was a player, very soft spoken. I think that fooled some people, but not a, not a fan of how he goes about it. And, and no surprises, he was left off that dream team. Ennis Cantor and Stan Van Gundy woke off was pretty funny. Uh, this is kind of TMZ ish, but uh, the reason why I liked it was Cantor's um, comment. So basically, um, Stan Van Gundy tweeted something saying women having rights within Sharia law seems oxymoronic. And Cantor had the comment of the week later on. To which, which is now a deleted Stan Van Gundy tweet. Shocker. He said, what a freaking in- ignorant thing to say. You running a basketball team <laughs> seems o- oxymoronic. <laughs> I can barely get it out. That is like, that is, that is great. That is great. He said, now you have lots of free time on your hands. You can undo your ignorance and educate yourself before you say anything. So I just had to mention that because I got a good, I got a good chuckle out of it, especially with Stan Van Gundy. He's gone. I mean, considering he coached essentially in the South. He's just shitting on the South every day. I went on his account just to have a look at what was going on with all this to see if he deleted the tweet, which he has. But yeah, just just a pretty funny one, bro. Yeah, you know, this whole thing, like, just take a time out. Take a fucking time out from tweeting anything that comes through your head. You know, I listened, someone was talking about Abraham Lincoln when he was president and somebody would write something bad about him, like a, a reporter or something. So what he would do, like he would read all whatever newspapers or whatever he would read and he would write all these letters to these, to these reporters, like destroying them, killing them back. Like, but what he would do is he would write them books, stick them in his drawer for five days and then figure out if he's going to send them out or not. 
And mostly he just ripped them up and like, this is not fucking smart. I'm just going to rip this thing up. This is not good. That's what you should do before you tweet. Like, is this really necessary for me to tweet this? And especially when it's political and usually it's a powder keg, especially on that subject, you know, and then fucking Ennis Cantor, which, you know, Ennis Cantor has been a loud you know, figure in a lot of this political stuff, especially internationally. And it's a fucking shit show, man. You yeah. know, I just hear the fucking circus music. Solid reply by Cantor with the coaching. <laughs> you running a basketball team yeah. seems, seems oxymoronic. But anyhow, I thought I'd mention that. Giannis just bought a stake in the Milwaukee Brewers Pro. I like this. Um, I just noticed it as we went on air. I like it. He's only in Milwaukee. I like it. I think it's a great thing. I think more players should do it. We've, we've talked about it. We're not going to get too in-depth in it, but staying in a small market, signing the extension, now being involved with one of the other big pro franchises. I, I like it. I think it was. it's a cool story. Good to see him cashing in on, on the, the brand that he's brought to Milwaukee in a championship, and I hope more players follow suit, bro. Yeah, I, I think it's sort of like um, you know Michael Jordan in Chicago. You know, like he's invested in it. He's now differently, of course, but like he's putting his roots down. Obviously, he brought a championship to the town. He wants to invest in, in in the city. He wants to invest in Major League Baseball there with the Brewers and you know small market town. Like it's not it's not a big town that will swallow you up. It's a small town. He wants to be a huge figure there, not just win championships and play basketball there, but he wants you know he wants to be involved in the community and. You know, doing these things is just going to have these fans love them even more. Like, this is what pro athletes don't understand about it. Like, when they say, oh, it's a business, it's a business, it's a business. 95% of those those fucking guys don't understand when they say it anyway. They just think it's a business because they get paid every two weeks. It's not. It's about putting yourself out there in the community. It's about being there for the community. It's about sometimes, you know, you can do something that you might perceive being better in the short term when the team struggles leaving and whatnot to a bigger city, but staying in the city, interacting with fans, investing in the community and just being a good guy. And that's what this guy's doing. He's a, you know, he's definitely a, you know, he's definitely a model citizen. He's, he's any young player that's growing up in this game should definitely take a page out of his book. Not the one about Jason Kidd in the Christmas practice, but he should take a page out of his book <laughs> as far as how he presents himself as a pro. You know, that's what he, they should be taking. This guy is fantastic. You can't you can't find anybody that'll say a bad word about this kid. And that's it, great. It's 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 fantastic to read about. That's a great story. I just read that not too long ago before the show started. I thought that was awesome. Yeah, really good, really good. Just finally, just sort of probably for a useful, useless stat, I guess, um, as we're going to get into that interview shortly. But the NBA has made an effort to limit travel with the schedule. The league says the estimated average miles traveled for each team is a record low for an 82-game season, 43,000 miles per team, down from about 46,000 miles, so 3,000 miles difference um, to a team in 2019-20, the most recent 82-game season. I mean, great, like... uh it's an extra 3,000 miles into the day. Is that really making that much of a difference? I think not. Um, they are trying to limit it as much as possible. But you know who gets screwed out of all this? It's always the small market teams that are centrally located. Um, they're generally traveling the most because they don't – when I played in Milwaukee, we hardly ever did long road trips where we'd knock everything out and come back. Because we were centrally located, these assholes would send us out on, on a two-game trip out west – come home, play a home game, then go on a two-game trip out east. You know what I mean? So <laughs> Dallas is kind of similar as well. Um, whenever you're centrally located, you you kind of get screwed. But just just another interesting one I saw. Um, do you think the 3,000 miles is making a difference, bro? 
Right, nah, not really. But, you know, uh, I, I'll tell you what, the people that go through the schedule, and I'm sure it's like AI and all this stuff as far as like, uh, you know, you got a computer doing it, but it's unbelievable what what, what you got to go into just doing the schedule. And you just think it's a pretty easy process, but... It's hard. It's, hard. it's a hard process. Yeah. For sure. Yeah, I mean... Yeah, we're... you know, and like, I don't know, the sleep stuff, travel... All, like everybody makes a big deal of it. I don't know if it helps. It doesn't help. These all these studies. There's a million studies, and five hundred thousand studies say one thing, and five hundred thousand studies say the other thing. Both. So who the fuck knows what to believe? But hey, if you think that saving the two hundred twenty-seven miles a month is good, fuck it, do it. You know. Yeah, um, I just remember in Milwaukee, we I think we requested a lot of Saturday night games um, because small market, you know, we just didn't sell well on a Tuesday in Milwaukee. It's, you know, minus 10 Celsius, minus 40, whatever it is, Fahrenheit. So, they requested a lot of Saturday games and the lead said, yep, no worries. We'll, we'll give you your Saturday night games. And you know what they did to us? We'd, we'd literally fly home for a Saturday night game. So, we would play a, we'd have a three or four game trip somewhere. We'd come home on a Friday, have a Saturday night game, then leave again on Sunday to go somewhere else. That's what they, that's what they did. They're like, you want your Saturday night? We'll give it to you, but you're going to have to travel more than other teams and do some random shit. And it was always, I asked a question one day, like, why do, why do we come home for one game? Why not just continue the road trip? Oh, it's because we have, we have a request for Saturday night games. So, that is what it is. We're going to go fact or fake news right now, and then we're going to get to useful or useless because we have an interview. What do you have for me? Robert Williams from the Celtics just signed a four-year 50... I think it was like four years, $54 million contract uh, to stay in Boston on his extension. He will be the starting center on opening night over Al Horford and Ennis Cantor. Fact or fake news? Fact. Uh, I think they're they're paying him like he's going to be their future big man, essentially. They got him, obviously, he's not maxed out, but Horford... He's getting older, and Cantor's not a starting, not a starting caliber center. He's better off the bench. So, I mean, I could see them starting Horford early, maybe, and then getting things acclimatized, and then and then he takes over as the starting spot. But I'll, I'll say fact on that one. Yeah, I was thinking about it. You know, maybe if it was a veteran coach coaching, maybe they would, you know, they would trust Al Horford a little bit more, you know, to start. But maybe Al's better in a, a you know, second unit. It's going to be weird though with that lineup, that uh, that that center lineup with Cantor, Horford, and uh, and and Williams. But I agree. I think you know thirteen and a half million dollars a year. You're you're invested in your future. He'll be the starter. But the one thing about him is he's been very inconsistent with his effort. Now he's not a bad player. You know he's not a bad player. He he's good and he runs the floor. Roller. Um, decent passer, which surprised me after watching some clips today. I don't watch him a lot, but he is inconsistent with his effort. And uh, they actually call him the Time Lord because of his first year. He was just late to everything, like late to workouts, <laughs> late Lord. to – so that – yeah, they, I, I don't know who named him that. I think it, it might have been Danny Ainge because Ainge is, be, is great with those names, but uh, nicknaming guys. But uh, the Time Lord is, is his name now. They, they still call him that. But, yeah, I say it's fact, but – you know, he hopefully this this contract sort of opens him up to saying, you know what, I gotta I gotta keep going. I gotta you know this is good. I, I get some momentum going forward. He's got the potential. Yeah, he's got the potential to do it. So we'll see. Yeah, for sure, folks. We talked a lot about Ben Simmons, obviously, and you know, shocker that he had on social media a video of him working out a with a trainer, our, making shots. Fan of ours sent me that screenshot and told me to send it to you so it was they said pro got one right um and it was uh ben simmons shooting with his shirt off in an instagram workout folks 
obviously they haven't talked to each other. There's there's a lot of talk about, you know, obviously him moving. My question to you is, if he's not traded by training camp, Ben Simmons will report to training camp with the 76ers. Ooh. Meaning that they won't send him home. He will actually, if he's on the roster. Yeah, or he doesn't report, yes. right? Yeah. Ooh, that's, yes. a, that's an interesting one. Look, I from what I hear, I don't, I don't think Ben is a guy that will get there and then just be a dick. Um, I think he'll just be. He's just quiet. He's not going to say much if he's if he reports. So I don't think they're. Con- I don't think the Philly would have too much of a concern about having him around, um, even if he's pissed off. But when your agent's Rich Paul and you're with Clutch Sports. Anything is possible. So, the old Adidas um, slogan of anything is possible. So, I, would, I think he reports, but I think – so, I would say fact he reports. But, yeah, I think I think there's going to be there's going to be some buttons pushed from Clutch Sports in my opinion. Yeah, I'm going to go the other way with it. I'm going to say he doesn't report. Now, if they – if everything's good with Lillard and they're not getting – because they're asking for a, a hell – they're asking for King Solomon's mind – and, you know, the fucking, just a treasure chest of things for Simmons and nobody's biting. So maybe they just say they lick their wounds and they have them report and then they try to move them during the season. But I think that it's going to get to a point where they're still not talking. They're going to say, fuck it, you know, just work out a trade. I'm just going to stay. We're, we're going to keep my client. We're going to keep our client home. You know, just work out a trade. We don't want to be a nuisance. This is obviously going to get to a big thing. We need to get a new start. It's ASAP. So I say he doesn't. I say he's he stays home. Fair enough. Last one, folks, which shocked me a little bit. Laurie Marketing Marketing is still a restricted free agent. Still has not signed a contract with the Chicago Bulls. The word is they're trying to sort of you know they're trying to hunt a trade. Um, there was some talk that. I think maybe New Orleans is going to trade for him in a sign and trade somehow. Have they even offered him? Do they even offer him a low ball or anything? I think what they do to make yourself a restricted because he's restricted either way, so they have to tender you an offer, you know, to make you a restricted free agent. So he's got to he's got to search out a um, an offer sheet. The problem is if they sign that offer sheet for five years, four years, whatever, and he doesn't want to be in Chicago and then Chicago matches, that four-year deal is with Chicago. So right now he's got to find an offer sheet and most likely he'll either have to play, he'll have to play for a one-year contract, which is usually like, I don't know, it's usually like 40% more than your contract, what you made last year. And then you'll become an unrestricted free agent the following year. Or you got to find a offer sheet to sign and trade. An offer sheet, or you got to get a site to work out a sign and trade on your extension. So, will he be a Chicago Bull come this season? Fact: He hasn't got a deal right right yet from anyone for them to even match. Makes me think that he'll take that that one year. Right, he can take that one year. Right, whatever the qualifying offer is. Um, yeah, yeah. Or so he could take a short deal. Or a short deal. Like they I could think say, yeah. I think the writing's on the wall. Free agents, it's fizzled. Free agents, it's fizzled out. All the big spenders are fizzled out. I mean, there are a few teams with cap space, but as we've discussed, they're saving that for next season, the season after. So I would say fact, he's going to be on the roster. Yeah, I say the same thing. I say that they're going to tender him of that one year, or they're going to. He's just going to sign a one plus one, and then just opt out, or you know what, what have you. So I just think that if there was a, if there was an offer to be made, it would have been offered right now. Now the only thing is. Um, salary wise with them, they're at about for next season, 
they're at about 90 or so million if I got my numbers right. And so they got to figure some things out. No, yeah, they're right. So they could take extra money on and still get under the luxury tax and they could sign and trade for them. I don't think anybody's going to just offer him a contract to give him an offer sheet. I think it will be a sign and trade and they'll get some things back. But I think he'll be on the roster. I don't think he's going to find anything that he really wants. And to be honest with you, they need him because right now their team's decent. You know, they go at Lonzo Ball, Levine, DeRozan, you know, and Vooch underneath at the five. They play him at the four. You know, right now they got Patrick Williams there, who's a good young player, but they need him at the four because then you come off the bench with like Caruso, you know, and a couple other younger players. You know, I think that they got, you know, they're, they're decent. I mean, they got they got some good players to get like Kobe White and Javante Green. I think he's still on the contract there. So their bench is just okay. So for them, they really need, I think they really need them to be able to move Patrick Williams off the bench with Kobe White and then Caruso. And, you know, they could add a couple of minimums there. But um, I think he'll be on, I think he'll be on the roster. A funny story about the restricted free agency. So I played a teammate of mine and a good friend of mine, actually. Um, I was real close to him when we played together. I still talk to him to this day. Charlie Bell. I was in, you probably would remember this story because it was, you know, we were a small market, but he came over. He was balling in Europe. He was he was known as a, a more of a defender, three ball guy in the NBA with us in, at least. But he was a bucket in Italy. He averaged, you know, I think he had 40 in an in a Italian Cup final. And then any, anyway, we signed him. My rookie year, he came on board. And they got him on, on one of those cheap Euro deals, you know, a two year you know, second year half guarantee for 3.5, whatever it was, right? And he balled out. He played really, really well. Played himself into a contract and and um, I guess Milwaukee was nickel and diming him and they're like, why would we offer you more than this? You don't have an offer on the table. Anyway, he ends up getting offered a five-year 18 million from Miami at the time. Mm-hmm. So, he flies out there, uh, meets Pat Riley, I think, played a round of golf. He's a big golfer. So, he's in He's in Miami, uh, beautiful weather, the water, you know, the mystique of, you know, that warm air. And so, he comes back and Milwaukee like shit, like, it's not too bad of a deal. We, we should probably match it. So, Charlie Bell goes to the media and he's like, I do not want to be in Milwaukee. I don't want to be here. They shouldn't match this deal. Like, just let's just move on. <laughs> like, try to, you know, create some leverage for himself. So, they, he's just praying to God they don't match the deal, right? Because it's like- where would you rather live if you're if you're a golfer, right? Milwaukee or Miami? Unfortunately, you want Miami, right? He basically goes to the media with this, and they match a day later. <laughs> oh, jeez! <laughs> and he was he was fucking livid. Like he was so pissed off. Yeah. He's like, "Why did you guys match? Like, you know, it was a good deal for us. We great to have you back, Charlie." And he was he was pissed for <laughs> for a long, long time with the organization. And then he got ran out of town anyway. When when Skiles came in and and um, ended up only playing a couple more years after. Skiles came in towards the middle part of his deal, but that's an example of restricted free agency. It can, it can be a good thing and a bad thing. And yeah, they end up end up matching the deal and, and he had to stay in Milwaukee. So I just remember that story because it was a funny one with restricted free agency. Let's let's move on to useful or useless. We're going to welcome two special guests right now to break down the world of stats. Um, really intriguing interview, so I hope you enjoy. So we have some guests on the show joining us right now. A little bit out of the ordinary for what we usually do. We usually get you know basketball players, coaches, but we found these two guests that are going to join us. Very, very interesting. We obviously have a segment um, that a lot of you have become familiar with, and it's actually gaining traction. I get a lot of emails and um, DMs about, is this stat useful or useless? Um, we have the boys from at Stat Muse. They've joined us, and we have a number of topics to get through, but uh, Eli Dawson, co-founder and CEO, and Kevin Bachdia. Did I pronounce that right? That's pretty close, folks. Pretty close. How do I say it? 
break it down for me. Uh, Bhaktia. Bhaktia. Without the H. It's, it's like, a yeah, there you go. There you go, mate. And Kevin is head of creative and design. So, we brought them on board to discuss a lot of things. I'm sure Pro will rail them a little bit along the way. But welcome to the show, guys. And just tell us a little bit about yourselves. Tell us outside of Stat, Stat Muse, you know, who you are and what you do and how you will get to how you form Stat Muse a little later. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, definitely. Um, as, as Kevin said, first first thing, thanks for having us. Uh, Kevin, I, I think you have like a, a very cool uh, story here. So I don't know if you want to want to leave with it. Uh, maybe uh, your your pre Stat Muse and joining Stat Muse, um, and and then I could join in there. Okay. Well, um, so my background is um, actually uh, in advertising. So I used to do advertising in New Zealand um, for about nine years. Sort of uh, as my sort of uh, side hustle, I would make this, uh, you know, I opened this Instagram page and I would um, post Insta- uh, like NBA art on it. And Eli um, and the, the guys at StatMuse found out about that Instagram page and essentially offered me a full-time job and uh, sponsored me a visa to go to the US. And that's how I um, work at StatMuse. That's a, that's a long story short version there. Interesting. Eli? Well, also at some point, Kevin, I have to tell the David Stern writing uh, 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 your 01 visa rec letter there. So, um, a reference letter. So, uh, and I think for names like Kevin, who, who just spoke, and I'm Eli, co-founder, CEO. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, uh, my background before StatMuse, uh, I actually worked in finance. Um, there's no video right now, but people would laugh uh, when they know that that was my background. So, I was an investment banker and then I worked in private equity as a professional investor. Um, and I left that, learned to code, uh, and started StatMuse. Um, not that I do any of our engineering. That's that's for the real engineers. Um, and uh, yeah, I just had a kind of a vision um, for the future of computing uh, and humans talking to computers and getting content on demand. Um, and that was kind of the the, the basis of StatMuse um, that me and our, our co-founder Adam uh, started. And are you are you guys still are you got you guys full time at StatMuse or you still have other jobs? I assume. Oh, no. So, def- definitely full-time at StatMuse. Um, I mean, I guess for me, it's been almost uh, a little, uh, seven years, I guess. And Kevin, how, how long for you now? Uh, five years plus. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the StatMuse, um, I, I think what probably brought us here today most uh, is, is our, our Twitter account, which is quite popular um, in NBA circles. Um, but the website, you know, the search engine, which is essentially a search for sports stats and information. And then now we do um, financial search too. So, you know, search for stock prices, currency pairs, Bitcoin returns, all, all this stuff. What, what do we get, Kevin, over, you know, 200 countries and website or countries and territories every week uh, that come to the website. So, um, the website uh, at this stage is, is pretty big and, you know, what, what keeps us uh, busy most of the time. Folks, I got a bad, I got a bad feeling about this, man. I mean, they're talking about AI controlling people. I have a feeling these Terminator robots are coming our fucking way, and it's gonna—they're gonna give us Luka Doncic's PER before they curb stomp us to death <laughs> on, a, on, on a global scale. So this is some dangerous shit. I think we got going on here, folks. I'm just telling you. Be nice then. Be nice then. Get in their good books. Yeah. All right. It's 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 not as uh, doom and gloom as that, bro. It's just it's it's essentially google for sports stats so you you type in any question you want in english and it spits out an answer for you immediately it's just as simple as that rather than having to go to websites and having to click drop downs and stuff like that it's as easy as asking a question really 
So it's not nothing, uh, nothing like the Skynet. Yeah, that's what Sarah said before they fucking went after it. But that's your, in, in the Terminator movies. But I, I'll let I'll let it slide and just say, you know what, fuck it. You know, I'm just a ride. I'm along for the ride. Yeah, I had no idea you boys did uh, other stuff uh, outside of the basketball stuff. I haven't looked too much into it, but you know, we obviously follow you because of the basketball stuff. But that's that makes total sense that it's full time. I mean, h- how and why did you start? You know, Stat Muse. Yeah, I guess I'll I'll, I'll run with that one. Um, so, you know, for uh, myself and um, co-founder Adam, uh, you know, w- well, first we were co-captains of our high school basketball team. So, I'll, I'll note that StatMuse has had uh, basketball and NBA love uh, since, since day one. Um, but we always had a vision that, you know, this is the decade that humans start talking to computers. Um, and you can go back to like 2012, uh, you had Siri out, um, you had Wolfram Alpha, which was kind of this like vertical specific search engine. Um, and, and kind of our vision was that like as sports fans, and, and then I, you know, mentioned before I was an investor, like, um, you know, the way the internet works is like, okay, I had a question, I need some information, I need some content. Um, and, and you go to Google and you search it, and then maybe it takes you to Wikipedia, or maybe it takes you to the NBA.com. Um, and, and it's, you know, kind of like click through a bunch of blue links um, to find your answer. Whereas, you know, once humans can really talk to machines, it's like, well, why can't the machine just like give me the answer I want, right? Which is this idea of like, um, the future of search, uh, every search result being a piece of content. Right. And so you get content on demand. Um, and then if you look at like our Twitter, like that's kind of this, I think this, uh, you know, great example of like once a you know, human can talk to the machine, get all this content on demand, all this information on demand, you know, someone like Kevin, um, can, can go do some magic, uh, with his you know, MBA, uh, knowledge and, um, creative brain and, and, and a very powerful tool at his fingertips. So for us, it was like just, that's really what it's about. It's about, um, humans talking to computers. How can we do our part as sports fans? Um, to make it to where you can just talk to them, you know, the machine and, and get the content on demand, right? So that's, you know, really what the core motivation was. Um, and I think, you know, anytime you want to go out and build something, it's, it's easier to build something where like, you're like, I just want this thing to exist because <laughs> I will use it, right? And, and that's always the greatest starting point. And, and that's what we do with sports. Um, and then that's what we're kind of doing with finance now as well. Gotcha. So Kevin, you run, you run the basketball, that's all you? Yep. Yep. That's all me. The illustrations um, are done by our graphic designer, uh, Michael. Um, but yeah, um, the NBA uh, stat news Twitter. That's uh, that's all me. How much time would you spend just on the on the basketball stat news or just stat news related to sports stuff daily, weekly? Give us an idea of how much research and time you have to put. Because some of these stats you guys pull out are just absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> like some of them just, I saw you guys just did. I think you guys just did a LeBron hashtag per tweet, right? In his off season. <laughs> well, that's prime uh, off off season content right there. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So yeah, I would say so. Uh, interestingly, the the Twitter stuff isn't really, I would say, my main um, responsibility. Is that news? Since I'm like sort of I'm in charge of everything creative and design. Like I, I work on like the web website design and product design, copywriting, art directing. So essentially, I only have time to do Twitter when the games are on at night. And so I would say I spend maybe three to four hours a day um, just running the Twitter account and following the games and looking at a box scores and um, researching stats. Um, you know, we we only do two two hundred to three hundred tweets a month. That's like, you know, seven, like that's like below 10 tweets a day, which is not a lot. It, 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 we're a pretty small team. So, um, you know, we do the best we can. 
Yeah, gotcha. Where, where do you, where are you getting most? How and where do you get your stats from? That's what we want to know. Like, what what platforms are you using? Is a lot of it done just by your own? Like, I assume the hashtag one, you would have had to just spend a good thirty yeah, minutes. Interns are. You know. Yeah. Do you have, do you have interns no, doing it? Yeah. I, I wish we had interns. <laughs> it's literally just me um, and my uh, laptop. Um, so I would say, you know, 95% of the stats that I come up with are available on statmuse.com. And it's, again, it's as easy. Let's say, you know, for example, right, LeBron has a 40 10 10 games or 40 point triple double. And you want to know how many 40 point triple doubles he has compared to the rest of, you know, NBA history, you just type that in. Like most players with a 40 point triple double, you hit enter and it spits out an answer for you. Like it shows, you know, LeBron has, yeah. like, let's say 20 and whatever, right? So it's, it's pretty easy that way. But you know, for that that other 5%, which is like the the weird stuff, right? The um the hashtags per tweet, the all of that stuff, you know, I, I just had to do that manually. Who's getting these stats though into your system? that is spitting out when somebody asked for it. I was on there about an hour and a half today, just messing around with it in different sports and stuff. First of all, fantastic site, you know, and I think it, it has room to grow. Yeah, it has room to grow, but it's great. Like shot shots and stuff. I wish when I worked for Kobe, you know, and um, and I would get shot charts for him for his opponents and stuff. That I mean, this would have been great, but like, how do you, how do you enter that stuff in I know you said that it just pops up, but like the actual raw data, like like basketball reference, I would assume that you guys are sort of competing with them. Oh, you know, as far as like, I mean, I know you're a little bit different, but like, are you guys pulling your stats from d- the same place or are they entering like, like, are you entering like lines of data, like as far as like season stats, career stats to get this ready to go. When I ask how many three point shots did LeBron take in his career? Like who, who's entering that data in? Yeah. So, um, I, I think kind of the best way to explain this, uh, you know, to the audience, um, and I'll, I'll assume, you know, people haven't hit the website yet. Right. We'll, we'll start from there is that if you think about it, we, we really did a few things. So, so first, you know, it's a search engine for sports stats and information. You know, so we can we can answer literally trillions of sports questions like scores, schedules, stats, recaps, bios, betting, fantasy. Um, we can do it, you know, live during during a game. You know, how many threes does Steph have? How's LeBron doing? Like, you can answer any of that. Um, or you go back to the inaugural season, right? Ask like, you know, um, how did Jackie Robinson do in his rookie season, right? And and, and we can just instantly answer that, right? So so within that um, kind of context, there's this natural language understanding engine which is really about you go to put, you know, text into a search engine and you're ascribing meaning to it. So it's like, you know, what's the lexical meaning? What's a triple double? Who's the king? What's gone yard? Uh, what's lit the lamp? Like, like what's the meaning of, of this language, right? Um, and then we cultivate our own database, right? Or, or knowledge base. Um, so unlike Google, we don't like try and go scrape some of their website. We cultivate our own database so that once we understand the text, like what did you ask for? Then we go and, and search this data. Um, and, and there's, you know, it's, it's real time stats or it's all the way back to the inaugural season and, and you're digitizing newspapers and there, there's no real like fancy way around the fact of like how you get data. Um, and then once we grab the data though, then we generate this, you know, content answer. Um, that is kind of this piece of multimedia where it's like, hey, there's text, there's chart, there's a data table, there's a amazing little illustration. And, and that's kind of our engine, right? So it's like, you can ask us this question, we'll ascribe meaning to it. We'll go grab the data. We cultivate the data ourselves. Um, 
particularly if it's historical data, um, real-time data, you just like license the API. Uh, and then we grab that data object and, and kind of whatever endpoint you're on, whether it's like Alexa or Google Assistant or our website, um, we'll just kind of give you the best multimedia piece of answer you, um, you could get uh, for, you know, for that endpoint. I guess the question I'm looking for, similar to pros, but is someone, like for historical stats, I assume you can't use AI necessarily, right? So, has someone actually entered this into a data point that you guys have backed up? There you go. Backed up somewhere? That, that's kind of, because that's a lot, like the fact that you can type in anything on that damn website and, and no, not damn website, great website, but you, you can do, type in anything and you're, you're spitting out instant instant answers with statistics is just mind-boggling to me about how, have, have you got, have you had tech people within your company that have just are constantly logging information um is that or is it just all all ai there you go that's what i was asking yeah all right well i'm, I'm smiling uh in in here as as you guys are, are seeing the power um so you know i i'd, I'd break it down to like a few points like one, there is like data entry in the sense of like, we have to go cultivate these databases that are like, you know, what, what are all Bogue's stats for his whole career, yes. right? Every game. Yes. Um, and, and that's, you know, that's like, yeah, that's where I said there's nothing sexy about it. Like it's manual data entry. Um, you know, you're, you're, you know, scrubbing newspapers, all this stuff, right? But once you, um, have this database, right? Then you're, you know, when you talk about AI, right? And it's, it's awesome that Pro made this reference to, you know, Skynet earlier, because that's like a daily part of how I talk about. Folks, um, I'm telling you, I'm telling <laughs> yeah, you, like, he, <laughs> this treacherous motherfucker, I'm telling you. <laughs> well, well, what I would note is like, you know, there's no Skynet around the corner that like anyone should sure. be afraid of. Like, mm-hmm. like, you know, there's no what we call like, um, you know, there's no uh, AGI, like, you know, artificial general intelligence where it's like it can be creative and like it, it can go learn on its own. Uh, I mean, Google has um, this unsupervised learning with AlphaGo. That's that's kind of the most like sophisticated like machine teaching itself there is. And, and at the end of the day, they're just playing the game like Go, right? Um, so so what I would tell people is like, is it 25 years, 50 years, 100 years? Like maybe it's not even our lifetime. It doesn't matter if we hit AGI, right? Like it doesn't matter if like um, there's any Skynet. If you look at StatMuse as a perfect example of what we consider like domain specific AI or vertical specific AI, where you can say, well, what if we just become like the smartest sports robot in the world, right? Or the the smartest financial analyst in the world, um, that, that's a robot, right? Which is essentially what we set out to do. Um, and, and so I think to your guys' core question, what I would note is that there is this like lexical engine um, and that's this idea of like natural language understanding where we're teaching the robot to understand human language. In particular, we're teaching it um, the kind of uh, the world of sports and that lexicon um, such that, you know, someone could go talk to essentially a robot, asking anything about sports, whether it's like a live game recap or like some esoteric question from the inaugural season. Um, and we want to be able to answer it. Right. And, and that's kind of our, our dream. And that's like if you think of like an ESPN um, and, and in the past and like, you know, Kevin, everyone on uh, on this podcast grew up with ESPN. Right. Um ESPN, like the days of like, how do you serve like Knicks fans or Lakers fans exclusively are kind of like over. It's like, how do you scale like three hours for the Bucks fan who loves Giannis endlessly? And like, you're not going to do that with humans. You're going to do it with robots. And it's just the ability for humans to essentially drive their own content experience. And they might do that casually. Like I'm a casual fan. I love Giannis. I just like want to ask a bunch of stuff about his MVP season or, or whatever. Right. Or, or they might be like a professional gambler or a daily fantasy player you know, some multimillionaire off of sports and, and they're approaching this much more like a research investment platform where it's like, I'm trying to squeeze as much information out of this like sports robot as possible. 
in the next 24 hours, right? So, so I think with that, like, ho hopefully that's like a better understanding, which is ultimately, I think, like the TLDR in your question is that we're not like manually answering specific questions. It is an engine that understands the lexicon of sports. It has all the data for the history of sports. And we're trying to build, you know, the greatest sports savant ever. That's essentially a robot. Yeah. I mean, I think it's somewhat going over my head a little bit, just not, not so much going over my head, but just understanding of how powerful this technology is and, and where the world is today. So I know Pro's definitely struggling with it because if I am, he's, he's in all, all kinds of trouble. But the fuck out of here, folks. You, you can barely walk and chew gum when it comes to technology. You still got a comment on 64, you fucking prehistoric no, no, fuck. No, it's a, it's a Super Nintendo Pro. But yeah, oh, that just makes like him that. an OG. That yeah. just makes him yeah. an OG. Super Mario, <laughs> Super Mario and Tetris. That's me. But yeah, it's just I think for a lot of our listeners, it, it, it some of it would go over our listeners' heads. Just being sports fans of like, holy shit, this is like deeper than I ever thought. And you know, we make the, the joke about Skynet and whatnot, but it's just interesting where the world of technology has gone. And that's a whole other conversation. But yeah, it makes it makes it much much um, I guess much easier for you guys to have people get things real time. And that's what it's all about today. I guess it's people want things now. They don't want to they don't want to send you a question and hear about it in ten minutes or an hour, and they want instant gratification. That's a society. Where we've built, unfortunately, which is good and bad at times. But one thing I liked about you guys and your stats is um, there's a humorous mix in it. You know, we like we like shit talking. We like going at each other, pro and I, and talking shit to people. And that's why I caught stat muse more often than not is because you guys, um, you guys don't take it too seriously. Like, you know, maybe you can get the reputation as stat nerds and no personality. That's usually the stigma or the stereotype. But I think you guys have a really, really good balance and mix. And just, just talk to us about, is that creative doing it together? Or is it you just got one guy that's just a shit talker like pro that's doing all your tweets that are humorous? But talk to us about <laughs> talk to us about the humorous side of, 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 your, of your shit posting stats. Yeah. So, so, to answer that, you know, whether you like the uh, personality or not, um, um, that's me. So, good or good. And bad good or bad um that that's that's on me so again like we are a pretty small team and i essentially run the twitter account and we mostly just do nba and that was an intentional choice we like you put it perfectly bogues you know stats could be overwhelming and and kind of boring and and it's just too much to look at there's like you know pr and you know, VORP and BPM, like people don't really know what these things are, right? Um, and and uh, it could come across as like smartsy and, and and geeky and whatever. But so so we wanted to add personality to it. Like we wanted to add some fun to it. And that's the core of our product as well. Like if you go to our website, you know, you see illustrations, you see colors. It's not like a drop down and data tables only. And that's that that, that was an intentional choice that we made. Um, for our uh, Twitter account as well, like uh, the, the the first thing that we did was okay, let's you know hire someone who can make these awesome illustrations of these plays that we can use, and 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 that's the that's Michael, the the guy that I um, mentioned before. And then after that, then you know we 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 thought you know why not add a little bit of personality to the to the tweets, like make it fun and and have a little bit of banter as well like if someone has a has a historically poor game like you just don't want to gloss over that right you want to talk about that with your friends so you know why don't we mention it and, and make it make it fun and um so that was um yeah that that's uh that was an intentional choice for sure and it humanizes things i think it humanizes what you're doing um i get a kick out of absolutely ESPN stats and info they've I've noticed they've tried to do some like tongue in cheek ones and they just they just they just miss it's just like I remember you were saying in your last episode um 
with the uh, little winky face emoji. I remember that you were saying yeah. like, uh, I think it was a stat with like LeBron and um, Thaddeus Young or someone. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah, exactly. It's just like, they, I think they've, they've just got someone that doesn't have that. It's just too serious. It's like, hey, we're trying to make a joke here. Everybody laugh. You're like, that's not how it works. <laughs> that's not how it works. But Yeah, absolutely. Like, you know, you said before you mentioned like, you know, basketball reference or ESPS stats and info. And we do see them as, I guess, you know, competition. But we do believe that our product is superior because, you know, it's quicker and it's easier. It's more fun. So we don't want to be like them. We want to be different. And, and one way of being different is to have, you know, fun illustrations and, and, and shit talk a little bit and, and have you know, have fun. And, you know, like even pro said it, like, you know, th these like AI talks and, you know, robots and whatever that like scares the shit out of him. Like it kind of scares the shit out of me. Like some, some of the stuff that Eli even talked about kind of went over my head when I first started at StatMuse. So, you know, one way to make, make that um, more relatable, like you said, you know, humanize it a little bit is just to have a little bit more fun. Yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Do you guys laugh at some of the stats out there? Surely, like the one I just mentioned with ESPN, like, but there's been some that are serious and we joke about it a lot, bro and I. It's like he's the first player to drop 40, have 10 assists and have diarrhea pregame, you know, that's <laughs> and, and some of these people, some of these people are posting those stats dead serious, like, like, hey, I found a first, I found a first. Do you, I mean, do you guys have a bit of a laugh with all that sometimes, like at, laughing at other stats that are posted? Oh, absolutely. And, uh, you know, that gives me a great idea for uh for an april fools joke uh you know maybe maybe next april fools we could be we could be we could just exclusively tweet out stats on that day that's like very very cherry picked <laughs> like lebron is the first player with um you know without a headband and with a right arm shooting sleeve to drop 30 points in a game on a tuesday versus the calves <laughs> like yeah. that would be that would be pretty fun after eating three easter eggs for pre-game meal yeah yeah of course <laughs> yeah, exactly yeah 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 one more for me is have you received any backlash from athletes about some of your shit posting stats and have you had anyone ever go at you or reach out to you in dms and be like what the fuck uh no so um that no one has definitely so definitely no one has uh reached out to us personally but we did get um like a quote tweet, there was a reply to one of our uh, Rudy Gobert tweets, and you know I think this this person was a was a jazz fan and wasn't too too pleased with um you know I think the tweet was about the jazz um, flaming out against the uh, the Clippers this past playoffs, and we tweeted something about Rudy Gobert, and this guy sort of replied to the tweet, and I think Rudy Gobert qu quote tweeted that, so that was the only time when we had an interaction with a player and you know we we will uh going forward with with uh rudy we probably want to uh be a little bit more careful and <laughs> no you want to do the opposite bro don't you i mean we, yeah, we're, the fuck? <laughs> we're we're all about rogueness so if you've only had one quote tweet you're not doing it right you, you gotta have a good balance ah. you want people to kind of love you but hate you at the same time then you you know you're doing really good things bro <laughs> yeah you want to you want to you know you want to block Rudy Gobert by accident and then just fi find out about it in about two months and have him find out about it and get pissed at you. Yeah, you want to you tell him that story? I, I'm not sure if you heard last pod, but pros let the world know that he, he's accidentally blocked JJ Reddick and JJ Reddick found out about it because he has a podcast. So he was trying to you know, have a listen of ours with what we're doing and realize that Pro blocked him. And now Pro, out of pride, even though he accidentally blocked him, he won't unblock him. Yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not that fucking bright. But hey, guys- who the fuck designed this game on your website 
with this James Harden bad bullshit because I can't get to it. It's the worst <laughs> thing I've ever seen and it doesn't work. So I want to know, I want to know what fucking AI fucking genius from MIT designed this bullshit. That's hey, what I want to know. I think that just means you're bad at bad at the maze, bro. <laughs> no question. Hey, no question about that. No doubt. But I can't get to it, and I want to know who did it. It wasn't AI, bro. It was me. Uh, so <laughs> I apologize you. for making the, the game a little bit too hard for you, my man. <laughs> yeah, I need the I need the hooked on phonics version, just so you know. But I, I can't get to it. But I, I was trying for like 20 minutes. It just doesn't move for me. So maybe I got to upgrade my software. Have you tried going from the MVP trophy and outwards? That could be a trick. Eh, maybe, but the, the little the little head is like on the bottom of the beard. So, anyways, guys, with the little uh, with the picture of the player, the headshot. Do you have to get permission individually or no? How does that work? Yeah, so today it's all just used in, in content, right? So we don't commercialize any of the illustration, right? So it's just okay. an original original work. Um, uh-huh. one, one thing I'll note is we have, uh, and, and I'll actually go back to, uh, talking about, uh, the, you know, whether players, uh, call us out or ever get mad. So I'll, I'll note Kevin has a hard job because I, I let him, you know, our, what we try and strike is the balance of like, just, just cover the league and make it entertaining and make stats fun. Um, because that's like, at the end of the day, that's what sports is about. That's what life's about. Like have fun, um, you know, bring a smile to whatever you're doing. Right. So it's like, all right, that, that's the approach we give Kevin. But on, on the side, right, like we have a bunch of relationships with different players. Um, particularly, we have a number of players that are investors in the company, not all of which are, are public. Um, and, and some of them, uh, it's like Kevin doesn't know all these relationships or what's behind the scenes. So it's always this funny dance where um, sometimes he'll, uh, he, you know, he, he might be going hard at a player for a little bit. And he's like, uh, Eli, what's going on with this player? And, um, that's when I'm like, that's fine, buddy. <laughs> we'll just, we'll just keep it going. Right. So I, th- I think, um, you know, uh, w- with that in mind, you know, the, it, it's hard, um, on the, on the relationship side, you know, for, I think Kevin to, you know, stay on top of that. But we just, our, our approach, like, how do you make, you know, talking to the robots fun? Um, how do you make stats fun? Uh, that's what we want to prove out. Um, and then when it comes back to the players, what I'll notice on the illustrations, um, we do plan to commercialize those a little more in the future. That's my little like teaser. Um, and that's one of the reasons we have a number of relationships with the players, although um, not all those are public. So do you, do you have to get permission to make, uh, make somebody's picture and put it on your site? Or is it because, is it like, because you're not making money off the picture that like the players association or anyone else like that wouldn't have an issue with it? That's what I was just sort of. Yeah, in most cases, it's just fair use, right? Because all we okay. are doing is using it in content today. Anytime we ever plan to commercialize it, yeah. we you know look to either have a relationship with the PA or with the player themselves, right? Um, and and so that's you know that's kind of the approach. Uh, and so for us, it's like you could go use a you know a photo of the game, or you could draw an original illustration. And in our case, they're all original illustrations. Perfect. Got it. So I want this David Stern story, Kevin. Um, Eli broke that early. We love a good David Stern story. We had one last week, so go for it. Yeah, so um, like I said before, uh, originally from New Zealand, um, got poached by StatMuse, and we applied for a visa. I'm not sure if you guys are aware of the types of visas um, that the US offers, but the most common one for a foreign worker is the H-1B visa, but that comes with a caveat, which is that it's a lottery. 
So uh, we didn't want to take that chance. We'd rather apply for a harder visa where you have to prove that you're, you know, one of the, you know, that you that you bring value to the company. Uh, I, I put it that. I think the lawyers try and say you have to prove your top 50 globally or something like that. Yeah, I wanted to be. Uh, thanks for putting that out there. Eli. I wanted to. Be, uh, I didn't want to put put too much fire and, and, and too much pressure on myself, but. Uh, um, but I was, I was, I was pretty lucky that I had a pretty, um, successful background in advertising. Um, so I, I could prove that with, um, or, uh, you know, the, the, my portfolio and the, the sort of, um, uh, recognition and awards that I've won. Um, so we applied for the O1 visa. And one of the, um, things that you do when you apply for an O1 visa is you have to get these, um, you know, a few letters of, uh, recommendation. And, uh, Eli hooked me up with, um, a David Stern letter. So he wrote me. Um, or I guess he wrote um, a letter of recommendation about me to the uh, U.S. Um, immigration office. And that was part of the reason why we got the O-1 visa approved uh, pretty quickly. And I got um, my green card within a year of moving here, which is um, pretty uh unheard of that's awesome so uh thanks to um that is awesome thanks to the legend he also uh gave eli and i a couple of hats uh nba hats from the infamous anthony bennett um draft which is probably now known more as the Giannis draft so um yeah i haven't met david stern in person before but he he's done a lot for me and um my life and my career that's for sure surely you framed that that letter surely you framed it put on the wall you got a copy of it? Oh, I absolutely uh, have stored it in my safe deposit box. <laughs> Beautiful. Yeah, that's great. The background there is David Stern's, a, 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 he was a, a multiple time investor in the company, um, an advisor to it, so a close mentor of mine. Um, and and the, the Kevin story was one of uh, many uh, amazing things he did as a, the magnanimous human being he is. Yeah, it was awesome. And that visa you refer to, um, we were on a similar one, NBA players are, uh, they actually had the wording a person of extraordinary ability, I think is the exact wording they use. So, yeah, for those listening out there, when you go to get a visa in the US, there's the, 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 the lottery and then there's the extraordinary ability. So, an NBA player, obviously, a top three, 400 in the world in, in what you're doing. So, that's extraordinary ability. But the way they, they worded it, when I when I read it, I was like, holy shit, extraordinary ability. That's, that's pretty cool. But uh, <laughs> that's how you get in. I guess we'll finish. Pro, these guys actually have questions for us. This is the first guest probably ever. So, we'll, we'll get to those in a second. But I guess, there was a question in, do you make any money out of the counts or is it truly a passion project? I think that's been pretty well answered. I think it seems like it's a mix of both. You guys are very passionate and, and making money, which is great. But what's the goal, What's the goal for you guys long-term? Where, where Where's StatMuse in 10, 15 years for you guys? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll lead with it. Kevin can share his vision. Um, you know, for me, it's, it's all about this. How do you build this kind of next generation of like a search engine um, that, that's as much more like search meets, meets uh, content so that... Um, you know, as fans uh, or as, you know, investors uh, or fantasy players, whatever you are, um, that you can drive that experience. So for us, it's like, how do you just have the best kind of data media portal so that, you know, in the past, you used to go to Google to then search something and end up on Wikipedia or ESPN. Um, now, how can you just have like one website that you come to for, you know, sports, um, for finance, for Bitcoin, uh, and it kind of has um, everything you want right in front personalized. But then if you have a question, you can ask it and instantly answer it. Um, and then, you know, and that's, that's kind of the dream. Uh, and, and then for me, it's, you know, uh, people like Kevin, uh, help make a, that, uh, very cool. <laughs> so that's a, a great segue to my answer. So, uh, you know, my main job at StatMuse is to make everything look cool, I guess. <laughs> so I, I try to make the scary shit, like the boring shit, like stats, 
fun and and um accessible and entertaining so you know hopefully in five years ten years time we'd be known as that like uh a, a, a you know a stat company a search company that is reputable um accurate that deals with um accurate information but does it in a in the most fun way possible yeah it makes sense we'll be following it as will everyone else so pro get some popcorn we have some useful or useless stats to get through from from the two gurus themselves. Let's let's do it. All right. So I've got a few stats here. I'll, I'll start with the first one. So first stat: Andrew Bogut is one of thirteen foreign players drafted first overall in the NBA. Five of them, five of those thirteen players, are champions: Bogues, Hakeem, Tim Duncan. So Tim Duncan uh, uh, was born in the uh, Virgin Islands, and apparently they're considered international because they're not part of the fifty states. Kyrie Irving and Michael Thompson, who is Clay's dad. So five of the 13 champions, useful or useless? What you got, bro? I got useless. I mean, it's awesome. Don't get me wrong, but like, it's just 13 players that are foreign, five or one. I mean, 13 foreign that five won a championship. 13, what, 13 number one picks, did you say, that are foreign? Yeah, 13 foreign number one picks. Yeah, I mean, it. it's just coincidental, right? Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. It's it's coincidental. Um, and it had nothing. My chip had nothing to do with Steph or Clay. It was just all me. So, I'm gonna <laughs> it's uh. it's uh yeah that one that one might be. I'd even knock myself out on uh, on useless that one. What, what else you got? Seconds that. So out of the thirteen foreign uh, first overall picks, three of them are from Australia. Australia, Bogut, Bogut, Kyrie, and Ben Simmons. This is the crazy thing. All, th- all three of them were born in the same city, Melbourne. In fact, since 1981, so that's um, around about when the NBA started uh, the three-point line, Melbourne has produced more number one overall picks in the NBA than any other city in the world. Is that useful or useless? I think it's useful, that one is, because Melbourne is the one of the meccas in Australia for Australian basketball talent that not only performs here in Australia, but overseas. I mean, Kyrie, we can't really claim too much of his development because he left at an early age, but we'll take it. But even myself and Ben, and then you look at most most of the other players playing, had something to do with Melbourne basketball. So I'm going useful on that one, bro. Yeah, it is coincidental in the sense, just because they're born the same, but it is a pretty cool stat that, you know, it leads to number one picks in cities and across the world so i'll say it's useful yeah it's pretty crazy if you think about it you know take that chicago yeah take that la <laughs> yeah exactly fun fact chicago is actually chicago is number two um on that list that's what i figured because i know chicago produces a lot of a lot of talent um in the nba take that new york city new jack city my ass all right third stat andrew bogut had his breakout season in 2009-10 before uh before your injury bogues yep. um and that was your fifth year um, I don't know if you remember, um, but you were you averaged 15.9 points, 10.2 rebounds, and two and a half blocks. And you were voted third team All-NBA, not All-Defense, All-NBA. And um, this is how good that season was and how underrated it was. Um, since that season, so 2010, only two players have averaged 15 and 10 and two and a half blocks in a season. Dwight Howard, who is an All-NBA player, and Anthony Davis, who is an All-NBA player. Useful or useless, pro? You fucking lost me about three paragraphs ago, fellas, but um, (laughs) 
Folks, what do you got? I'm fucking. I'm passing it on to my fucking lifeline here. What do you got? Take some Adderall, bro. Come on. We're only we're only 37 minutes in. It's Steam Company for me. I didn't I didn't know that with the two and I'm assuming the two and a half blocks really got me over the line because Rudy would be up there somewhere, but he probably is not averaging close to 16 a game or 15.9. So I have myself on the back for the All NBA third team. I'm going to say useful, bro. Yeah, fuck it, useful. I'll just go with that. Let's copy over your shoulder. <laughs> we got that shit. Next. All right, this is the last one. And I'm pretty sure uh, this is 100% useless. Uh, so since 2005, and that was uh, Bogut's draft year, 24% of the first overall picks have a variation of the name Andre as their first name. So Andrew Bogut, Andrea Bargnani, Andrew Wiggins, DeAndre Ayton. That's useless, right? That was just a fun last one. It's useless, but it's just it's just a random one for you to find, man. Kudos. That's what I'm saying. Like some of this stuff, you're like, fuck. Like that one was a self-research, obviously. There's no way you're putting that shit into AI. But um Yeah, that was a self-research for sure. <laughs> yeah, no, nah, I think it's I think it's useless, but I think it's an impressive, an impressive find, pro. Yeah, so like when when you guys have your terror robot that's gonna come get us at some point, is it gonna have like Arnold Schwarzenegger's body with like Steven Jackson's face on it? Like, how is your robot going to look when it when it tries to take over the world? I just, I'm just curious. An elephant, robot elephant, cyborg elephant. Oh, okay. That's good. At least it's shaped like me. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> it is a pretty cool site. Like, the, one of the better things that I did besides the shot chart stuff that I thought you guys did a good job is, like, if I wanted to say, like, Bogues, what was uh, – bad example. But if you played for an other team for multiple years. So, say, like um, – I don't know what was Vladi Divac's stats just on Charlotte, and I can look that up, and it'll give me his career stat line for just that team. Like, there's just w- cool things you could just type in when you're trying to do research for players and stuff. And um, I-, I just thought it was a pretty entertaining site to go on. Yeah, well, we highly recommend it. We reference you boys a lot before we let you go. Is there anything you want to promote? Give us your give us your handles on all, all the social media, and if there's anything else you want to tell our listeners, now is the time. I'll leave that to you, Eli. All right. Uh, so the, the account is at StatMuse on Twitter. Definitely follow it. Um, one of the best sports accounts there is. Uh, every once in a while, we drop some uh, finance dimes on you guys. Um, and then the, the two things I'll promote. Uh, if you're into sports, um, we're going to have uh, really robust sports betting features. Um, today, you can ask stuff about like the odds and the spread and the money line. Um, but we're going to add a lot more, uh, in, in, including a bunch of historical data. So that'll be pretty cool. Um, something we're pretty pumped about uh, to kind of expand uh, our robot's brain of, of what you can answer it or what you can ask it. Um, and then on the finance side, uh, we just launched a public beta um, of uh, StatMuse Money, um, which is, you know, search for financial information. So stock prices, currency pairs, Bitcoin returns and more. Um, super powerful, uh, a product I'm super excited about. Um, it has kind of the same, uh, I think, fun factor that you find with sports, um, even though you're searching, you know, financial information. Uh, Kevin and Michael on our team uh, definitely make sure it's cool. So um, it's a lot of fun and check it out. Um, and it you know search StatMuse to save time. Yeah, give us give them a follow. Give us a follow at Robos, obviously. But yeah, we wanted to. I found this conversation really interesting because you know most people see these stats, but I was you know I was always intrigued about. And Pro and I have talked about it numerous times about like who's logging this and who's following this and the time put into it. So it's good you guys have, have broke it down for our listeners to to know. I guess the the faces and the people and the humans behind 
everything that's being put out because sometimes, like like we said earlier, you can just get lost in that tech bubble of not knowing that human element of it. So we appreciate your time, Eli and Kevin from StatMuse. Thank you very much and uh, we wish you all the best with StatMuse in the future. Thanks, man. Thanks, boys. Thanks for having us. Yeah, likewise. Thanks. We really appreciate it um, and, and have a great weekend, everyone. Appreciate you guys. Uh, once again, a really, really good interview. Hope you found it useful. I know Pro, Pro and I did, and we'll continue to watch um, their progress on on how they continue to build their monopoly on on stats and the different things they do within within basketball. So thank you once again to Stat Muse. Let's go to Q and A's. Pro, we've got a few here. We haven't done them for a couple of weeks because we had guests, so we'll get through these real quick and then. Um Send you to bed because it's getting late there. Hi, Andrew. My name is John. I'm from Campbelltown, New, uh, New South Wales. I thoroughly enjoy listening to your podcasts. My question for your upcoming pod- basketball podcast is a boomers team with Ben Simmons in the squad for Paris 24 leave the Olympics with the gold medal around their neck or does Simmons' ego get in the way and essentially beat us before the tournament even begins? Really hope you're able to answer my question. Look forward to hearing from your basketball expertise on what your take is on the opinion. That's from Jono. Uh, we've, we've touched this numerous times so you can circle back to get an in-depth answer but that's the question. Ben is more than welcome to join the national team um, and I'm speaking about this as an outsider. I'm no longer involved with them but he's more than welcome to join if he buys in and I think if he buys in the boomers culture and what they're trying to build I think there's a very high chance that there's a gold medal around their neck if not a silver so I hope that that mind um, of his changes towards the national team um, would be great for basketball in this country be great for everybody and it, I think it first and foremost would be great for Ben Simmons brand he's a big brand guy Rich Paul Clarge Agency love the whole brand and influencer celebrity Liberty, athlete, all that stuff. There's nothing better um, than playing for your national team if you want to help yourself in Australia. Because even though he's copping a lot of shit right now and probably will for the next three years because he hasn't played for his national team, the moment you do and have success, people forget about that other 10 years. Um, so hopefully, hopefully he plays pro. You know, folks, I mean, it's all set up for him. It's all set up for him. I've t- we, like you said, we've talked about this a thousand times. And I don't think he'll will play. But it's set up for him. They already, You guys already meddled. You already have a majority of your team coming back. Add him to the roster. You're gonna, you know, you're gonna be really good, and you know, you're gonna at least get the silver, or at least be in that in that conversation. I think you have top a top four, top four. Yeah, I think you have a chance, definitely in the top four. So I mean, it's all set up for him. It's a slam dunk. All he has to do is show up. But that's the problem. Will he? Will, will we want I'm not a fucking forecaster with that. I'm not. I don't have a crystal ball. Um, so I don't know, but if he does play, I think it definitely puts you in a good a good position for sure. It is it is set up, bro. But I would I would also say this: it's set up for him, yes. But it's also it also could do the opposite. You know, let's say he plays and they finish seventh, then what do you think is going to happen? You know what I mean? So yeah, I think there's yeah. there's there's pull and push and pull from both ends there, probably with his group and mentally. And I think there's some pressure on him that hey, if we arguably get the best Australian player ever playing for our national team, we finished third in the last Olympics. You best believe we better finish higher than that, or then he's going to cop more shit. So I think it goes both ways in that context. Well, Lawndale's already playing, so of course you got the best Australian of all time. I'll tell you what fucking Lawndale isn't. The best dressed Australian of all time. Do you see what that fucking get? I knew it was coming. Yeah. Do you see that fucking outfit he's got on? Oh, man. I don't know what the hell he was wearing. I, I texted LL him. LL Cool J just fucking threw up watching that bullshit because he had his fucking, that fucking fisherman hat on. Was he from the fucking movie Scream? I mean, what the, the fuck out of here with that Lawndale? Seriously. What's going on with that fucking outfit? I'm no fashionista, um, but the the bucket hat while signing a, your first NBA deal 
Jock, uh, Jack, uh, Jockdale, Lawndale, whatever you want to call it. I wasn't, yeah, I, yeah. Gave, him bit, I gave, gave him a bit of shit, but I, I just said, uh, I assumed he had his fishing poles or rods just waiting in the car and he was going down to the, to the, to the river walk in San Antonio to get some of those very clean fish they have. <laughs> yeah, that's a bucket hat, all right. It's a bucket of shit. Get it off your fucking head, kid. But then again, you can argue the haircut. Maybe he was hiding that. That's a good point. That's a good point. You know, we the, love, the, it. We the, love the you, Jock. We love you, Jock. We'll get him on the show. We'll, we'll get him on the show eventually. Yeah, get a fu- get your first paycheck and get some fucking clothes, would you, brother? <laughs> All right. So, so what do we got? Um, yeah, what do you got? Who the fuck knows if this kid's gonna play? Like, we don't know. But you're right. It's not exactly set up because if they go backwards and they don't finish as well as they finished last time, yeah, then there's a little bit of pressure. Yeah. Like, like I said, I don't really give a fuck if he plays. I think he's gonna find an excuse not to, but. Whatever. It, it is what it is. We'll see you in three years. Uh, next one is Bogues and Pro loving the podcast, different types you've done so far. My favorite was the I Cook Foods episode and spent heaps of time now Googling and so on since that aired. Now, Pro gives me shit for having all these different kinds of series for the podcast, so I appreciate that positive feedback. Take that, Pro. You were great on Olympics coverage to have Gazy and yourself. Love the banner with Pro you have and having Pro on to share his knowledge and stories. My question, is there ever a playing contract you passed on that you regret and wish you took it? And why or why not? Um, Brad from Lockyer Valley in Queensland. I haven't really. I, I signed an extension while I was contracted with Milwaukee. I then signed another extension. I was never a free agent pro till you know towards the end of my career, which is then just vet mins. But I was never an, a, a pure free agent, so I never was in the, in that schmoozing visiting team kind of mentality. Um, I guess when I got released from when I got traded from Dallas to Philly, and then Philly bought me out. That's when I. I signed with Cleveland and broke my leg within the first minute. So I regret that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I had offers from San Antonio called Boston. Um, I probably should have went to Boston. Boston was pissed that I didn't go there. And funnily enough. Yeah, they called me on you, actually. They did call me, the, the, the guys yeah. in the front office. When I was a free agent, the following year, um, we called them and they were like, nah. Angel's Angel's still pissed at my agent, so fair enough. Um, but probably probably Boston would have actually been a better fit for my skill set and the way I played. But that's um that that's not really passing on a contract, but that would be the closest thing, pro. What about yourself? Any any contracts besides the Twinkies packet that you've passed on that you regret? Oh, god damn. <laughs> yeah, so like Boston, when I worked for Boston as a scout, I, I was like an at will employee, basically just, you know, you gotta check every week and whatever. They gave us they gave me a little bit of a salary. Interesting story, I got my job for the Celtics for living with Vin Baker at first. You know, just basically being like a positive influence. Obviously not as eating influences, but, you know, just a positive influence there. So the new ownership took over, so I couldn't get a contract. I had to do that with Vin for like, Vin Baker for like two months or three months before the new ownership officially took over. And they, like when a new owner buys a team, basically the whole budget gets frozen. You can't hire anybody. You can't really make any trades. Like you can't really do anything. You're in limbo until they take over. Once they took over, I got my deal. But it wasn't really a deal. It was sort of at will for like a few years. Then I go to uh, Dallas and I didn't like, you know, I didn't even like reach out to Dallas. Dallas reached out to me through a third party and was like, hey, you interested, whatever. And I still didn't think I was going to get a job. I talked to Rick Carlisle. He was like, yeah, maybe next year. Cause it was like April, like March when they called me. You know, the season was still going on. It was winding down. And I got, like, ah, I don't think we need anybody for this year. I'm like, what the fuck? I just heard that you guys need somebody to myself, of course. So then they call me, Donnie Nelson called me and they offered me like a, a three year deal of 60, 65 and 70. And I, 
to NBA standards, pretty low, but I've never really been in an NBA before as a player development guy. So I was like, you know what? Fuck it. I'm going to do it. Figure it out. Dallas is a nice spot. My wife was like, yeah, that's fine. Let's do that. So we did it. Uh, did three years there. And then when my, my, my free, like free agent year, you know, when my contract was up, Orlando called for permission. Vogel just took the job. They said no. And then I was still negotiating with them. I wanted like 150. They would, they came back with 90, 95. It literally was like I was at summer league with like three hours to go uh, before July 1st. And I was officially not going to have a check after that. So they finally came up with an offer. It was like 135, 140, 145. I wanted like 150 or something like that. And so they ended up doing okay. And then when I knew I was going to get shit canned in Dallas, Donnie Nelson came to me and was like, hey, what, 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 are you, what are you thinking about your number? And I was like, Donnie, I'm not going to be back here. Obviously, you know, I'm not wanted here. It is what it is. And it's okay with me. But then I just threw him a fucking number. I was like, all right, five years, 285 to like 305. Because I knew to get to like 200, I had to go at like 300 to like try to meet in the middle, which I knew I was, I knew I was out the door anyway. And I, and then they were like, yeah, we're not going to offer you any contract. I was like, yeah, Donnie, I told you this fucking six weeks ago. Like, I don't know why we're doing this. Like I knew like, you know, me and Carl, I don't get along. It is what it is. And and I was going to get shit canned. So yeah. So it was, it was pretty interesting, man. How the whole contract thing goes. Like probably like my first deal with Dallas is probably about 40 or $50,000 less than I should have taken, but I had no leverage. Like as an NBA assistant, like especially a low level one, like you got no like unless you get leverage from another team like the team that has you is usually just going to pay you whatever they want to pay you because there's no other suitors it's like a a restricted free agent so that is what it is it's an interesting the whole contract negotiation thing in the nba is pretty like if you're not like a head coach making 10 million dollars a year and you're just a like a low level guy you know you get you get fucking bamboozled for sure unless you have a big time agent or you know you have some leverage or you you know you get on instagram working out the best players you know you know and, and just saying that the, you're, you're their boy and they're your boy and try to get a contract based on that so and i'm not I, i'll never do that but interesting stuff so to say the least no doubt thanks brad for that question um next one this one's a question that anyone with the scent from the balkans always brings up at some point and it's it's an interesting one so bosnia croatia slovenia you know serbia as we watch the rise of international superstars in the nba it is clear that the talent gap the usa once had is slowly shrinking as an australian who immigrated from bosnia here in 96 it got me thinking about what a former yugoslavian team with current nba players would look like at the olympics the potential starting Five would be something like Luka Doncic, both Bogdanovic's, Jokic, Goran Dragic, uh, with players like Nurkic, Tedosic, Boban. I mean, Zubac is in there as well. Sharic is in there right as of today. You can make a case this team would be a tough out for even the best form of the USA team. Thoughts on this? Kind of crazy to think about what could have been. Kind of regards, that's Tim. Um, and like I said, this is all my Balkan friends, Serbian, Croatian, Bosnian. We all we bring this up on we have a couple of drinks. It always comes up, man. Imagine even even the the early two thousands teams. Imagine you know if everyone stayed together in that that 
war didn't break the countries up, they'd be they would be tough. Um, the USA would still be a, a tough challenge for anyone, but that roster would would be a powerhouse. There's no doubt about it. They'd be they'd be first or second every year, in my opinion. Um, but the, you know, the same could essentially be said about Russia as well when they split up into all their frac- all, all their factions. Um, so, what do you think, Pro? If, if former Yugoslavia, those countries that I mentioned, all were together, where, where would they be in the in the world powers of basketball? I mean, Bogues, that obviously would be a really good team. I mean, it'd be a very competitive team to most NBA teams. The thing about it is. If the NBA had all their best players from one to, you know, one to 15 best American players that played, I still think that that it would be a good game for sure, especially Luka Jokic and those guys. But I think if you get all the best players in it and you don't have players skipping out and all that, I think the United States would still win um, in a decent manner. The reason why I didn't think the United States was going to win this year is because they had a lot of first-year guys not used to FIBA rules, not used to playing that style of basketball, team basketball. But this team that you just mentioned, I mean, that's a, that's that'll be a complete tough out. That that'll be that'll be a really good team. That'll be comparable to those like you know, Kukoc, Dino Raja, Vladi Divac, Petrovic teams. Yeah, I mean, if you, you, know, you, you could go on YouTube and watch them play the United States, you know, like the college guys, not, not, in 80, not just in 88, but like in 90, 91, playing against like Kenny Anderson and, and Alonzo Mourning. And um, they were a great fucking team. You know, they, they also had Zako Paspai. Um, but this team, I mean, you have some real big – that would be the, one of the best international teams of all time playing in the Olympics. That could be a one of the best non-United States team ever to play in the Olympics if you put all these guys together. It'll be a really fun, entertaining game. I still think the United States would win, but I think that it would be a hell of a fucking game. And Tim, the, I guess the one thing you'd have to think about though is you'd have essentially the, the, pro- the same problem arising that the USA sometimes has, role players. You look at that team, Bogdanovich is a both gunner shooters Jokic has the ball in his hands 90% of the time in Denver. Dragic is a bit more of a role player off the ball now, so he fits. But then you got Luka Doncic as well. So it's the usage, will guys pout not getting touches, that then could rear its ugly head into a, you know, a national team that probably hasn't experienced that, whereas always team first. So there is a balancing act there. I agree they'd definitely be better, but then they've got other... They've got other things they got to figure out along the way, and that it would be hilarious to put an all NBA group with 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 an Abradovich type coach though, or someone like that. <laughs> it just doesn't give a shit about them. I don't give a shit where you play or who you are. That'd be what I'd want to see. But uh, interesting nonetheless. No, just think about it both. So for the United States, right? Then you got Kevin Durant. If you had Kevin Durant, LeBron, you got Steph Curry, Kawhi, Harden, Lillard, Booker, um, Anthony Davis. You know. Like going down the list now, you know, Bradley Beal, Paul George. I mean, those guys, I mean, the second units of what's going to get you. Now, again, just like 92, just like in 08, to have the actual best players play, it'll take a special team to come close to that team. And the Spain, Spain did it to the United States when they had the Gasols. You know, when when U.S. had a pullout late in, in I think the 08 game, but like it, it take it's gonna take a special group to really give it to a, a true best United States team, not just good players in the United States with a couple of great players. I'm talking about the best of the best 
I don't think you, I don't think you're going to get a best of the best team in the United States for a while, especially with these older guys trying to rest. I, I, I think it's going to be tough, but that'll be an awesome game, nonetheless. Yeah, I agree. I mean, um, and yeah, it just it just comes down to the bench. I think you hit it on the head. I think the bench is the point that you make. Like that's where you're gonna you're gonna make your money because a lot of a lot of international teams just don't have that eight, nine, ten guy where you know, like you said, that second unit arguably is as good as the first unit and would compete on a nightly basis against against each other. Really, you know. So I think it's um yeah, it's interesting. All right, next one is uh, hi Bogues. What is your take now that Liz Cambage is back playing and posting on social media? Considering Mike said that she should be taking the off season off if if she is suffering from mental health, I really feel the Opals. I uh, really feel for the Opals in the Olympics as wouldn't they have geared all their players and all their plays and sets around her? And that's from Cheryl in Tasmania. Pro, you got another one right. You got another one right with that question because you called it that uh, you'd assume. It's unbelievable, man. Yeah, you'd assume she'd be um, jumping out and about uh, like nothing nothing ever happened. Folks, it's just this is how it is. And look, I'm not making light of anybody's mental health. I mean, obviously, it's, a, it's, a, it's an issue. But like I said, take care of it. Take care of it. You know, if somebody's hooked on drugs and they're a junkie and they play basketball, say, right? An NBA player. And you put them in, you put them in um, a facility for like three weeks. Because literally, that's her, what she was explaining of her mental health was like somebody who's a junkie who has a big time drug problem. You don't throw somebody in. And I don't think she's in a facility. I don't think she, I think she just was away from the team and doing whatever she was doing. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not around her. I have no idea. But what I'm saying is you don't throw a junkie into a facility for three weeks and say, okay, rejoin the team, go travel do with us and do what you got to do, but you're going to play again. What, what, what is that? You know, how are you going to get better? But like, again, from what I've heard that she said to those girls from Nigeria, is one of the most vile things I've ever heard said. And I don't care what color you are. And I don't, what you said or creed you are or or gender you are. Like that was disgusting. And to use mental health, that's fine. If you want to use mental health, that was the reason why your actions did in in that scrimmage against Nigeria. But now you're going to play three weeks later. It just, it just, to me, it's, it's a little rough to deal with, but that's, that's none of my business. That's her business. You know, but again, yeah. Well, we still haven't got a. There's still, still no reprimand, or there's no consequences to those actions from Basketball Australia and from anyone no, really. Man. It's kind of got away. It's just got swept under the rug. And and look, pro, we're we're in a we're in a society right now where you don't condone racism by any means. Um, you don't condone comments that were you know reported that were were made. But in Australia right now, there's a, I'll give you an example. Uh, an AFL player had said something you know, racially charged to someone on his team about another player. He got overheard, um, and fair enough, it was it was shouldn't have been said. But he got six weeks and fifty grand, I think, in the AFL. Right? Uh, some people said not enough. Some people said you know too much. Whatever. That's a separate argument. But the fact that this one hasn't been even discussed or has kind of been forgotten about is a little concerning because we're, we're talking about as a society wanting to stamp out racism and wanting to stamp out those kind of comments, is it the mental health thing while we're not pushing it? Or is it the fact that, you know, it might be because of a background, we're not we're not going to air those comments. I'm not sure, but um, you can't have that double standard no matter who says it, no matter what religion, race, creed, sexuality they are. If you say something derogatory, my disappointing 
aspect of discussing this is the the rules should be the same for everyone and they're clearly not at the moment because we we haven't heard anything from it we and, and everyone knows everyone's heard the comments and this is not hearsay i've reached out to people within that team and got confirmation of what was said and you know i don't want a defamation case obviously but you know like you said it's words you don't want to repeat but there's been no there's been no reprimand for basketball australia so i don't know if the investigation's still pending but it's just kind of gone dead quiet yeah it's it's a Hey, look, good luck to her. I hope she finds what she's looking for and happiness and whatnot. But, you know, it just goes to show that, like, whatever action that you do, you could you could use that mental health as a crutch. You can. It, it, it's not it's not something I'm, well, I, I don't really care much about saying this stuff, but, like, I'm not making a big deal of it. But if you just track it, like, people who could, you know, get in trouble or do something that's way out of character – you know, what would you do if you, if, if, if this, these things get out and it will destroy your brand or whatever you call it, or you could just say, I was having a bad mental health day. And then you get a get out of jail free card, you know, and you don't have to deal with it. You're going to, you, you're going to use it. Yeah. And I, I don't, we don't, we don't know her issues like you said, but you could claim that anytime you have a blow up and you, you go crazy, that's technically a mental health blow up. <laughs> so. For sure. You know, if I'm cussing you out and you're my coach pro and I'm like, you know, I throw a punch at you. Oh, sorry. You know, I had a had a mental health blank out. That's not, a, doesn't excuse your behavior. And I've had people reach out to me off record, um, whether it be via, you know, messaging on social media or email, even emails saying, thanks for standing up for people that have mental health issues that aren't going around using those comments. And that was kind of my point with all this. This was never to diminish Cambridge's battles with mental health or diminish anything else. It was to state the simple fact that you can't you can separate the two you can't act like it you can't go out acting like a dickhead and then just because you have mental health and that that was that was my big point with all this and people people have appreciated that so um and on the flip side there's some people that support liz and and everything she said and said oh no it's it's more than okay for her to make those comments because she had a mental health issue so each to their own we'll finish off with the last one and let you go hey bogues and pro is a long time suffering Warriors fan from the 90s, but being a fellow Aussie, the arrival of Bogues to Golden State brought me back to the franchise. Splash Brothers who, he says. Thanks for all the great memories from your career. The more I hear from Pro, the more I get why he's a co-host. The way he made Gazy nervous was hilarious. I liked it as well. My question for the show, what do players talk about on the bench? Is it a mix of strategizing and shooting the shit, or does it depend on who you're sitting next to? Is there a certain seating order for stars and vets over the rookies? The dynamics of an NBA bench have always interested me. If I get a bonus question to both of you did you ever have a moment where even though you were a pro in the league you met an NBA legend and thought holy shit I can't believe I'm talking to X great job on creating a really accessible and entertaining pod cheers Will from Bris Vegas or Brisbane as we call it the only guy I really was happy to meet. I mean, Tony Kukoc for me, being able to play with him was unbelievable. And then Michael Jordan uh, meeting him was was just, you know, he's, he's basketball god, uh, really. So meeting those two guys. Anyone you met pro that wowed you um, in initial contact? You know, it, Michael Jordan for sure. I was working for the Celtics and working his camp in the summer. And, and I had Tim Grover as, uh, you know, I was working for Tim as well. So when I went out to his camp, getting his camp, I, I told you, it was – it was in Santa Barbara at the University of California, Santa Barbara, beautiful campus. 750 kids from all over the world paying 750 bucks a, a week to go to this camp. And I mean, and he was showed up like, he showed up a few times a day. You know, there was some times he wasn't there throughout the day, but he was there in the morning and in the, in the middle of the day and then at night and getting a chance to actually talk to him about footwork. You know, because like, look, anybody that goes up to him and tries to talk to him about glory days or what the weather's like and all that. He just sort of, he's just, he's just not that type of guy, especially if he doesn't know you. So 
to be able to talk to him about footwork because that's my favorite thing to talk about in basketball and like spending every day to, to have a conversation with him for like three or four minutes, five minutes at a time to talk to him about that. I was literally shaken, you know, and no, it's not because I didn't eat for three minutes. It was actually because, you know, to talk to one of the best guys ever at it. And then I, I wasn't really starstruck when I met Kobe, but I spent some time with him in LA alone, you know, during the walkout and be able to again, talk to him about basketball was pretty cool. So those are the two things that probably I was sort of most starstruck as far as talking to MJ at all. Cause he is a, you know how it is. It's like that aura. It just, you know, of him, no one else really, I've been around a million hall of fame players, all-star players, you know, you know me, I'd rather bust their balls than actually be, you know, giving them the satisfaction and thinking of, yeah, but those two guys having a a real conversation about basketball with Kobe, you know, and talking to MJ about that. Those are probably my two, two guys that I was really starstruck about. Oh, third guy, guy who killed Bin Laden, supposedly killed Bin Laden. He was in the Celtic, uh, the Mavericks locker room one night. And right after he sort of said that he killed him, you know, getting to meet him was pretty, it was pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. That's a random one, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. How about that? Yeah. How about that? The bench question for me, holy shit, where do we start? So seating orders. Yes. If you are a rookie and there's not a seat available and a veteran checks out of the game, sometimes the bench is overloaded, especially in preseason. You're sitting on the floor, you're getting booted. There are these extra cushions for bigger guys like myself. So some of these arenas have uh, seating that's kind of off the court and the courts a step up. So for big guys, it's actually really bad for your back and not a great seating position. So trainers will give you like this cushion thing and then it became a thing where stars wanted them as well, even though they weren't tall. So there's that. Some guys love to sit as far away as possible from the coaches. Some guys love sitting right next to the coaches. It just depends on, on how involved in the game you are. On the bench, there's a little bit of talk about the game, but to be honest, uh, in most games, there is a lot of... Uh, if, you're, if you're a bench guy, let's say that's not playing a lot, there's a lot of looking in the crowd and looking at females and, and booty and boobies and someone might give you a tap on the leg and say damn you know have a look at that lady she looks uh, very pristine pro there's that side of things and, and that's what I see what I saw most mostly um, then there's guys looking up at the scoreboard and watching the competition that they've got running at the timeout break <laughs> so some of these arenas have uh, you know these races and if you're in this seated area you win this so guys will be not paying attention so if you watch an NBA game during timeouts which is, I always found weird, pro. In, in the NBA during timeouts, the bench pays no fucking attention during the timeout at all. It's like, yeah. It's literally the five guys that the coach is talking to. Whereas in FIBA, it's like coaches lose their shit. It's like, pay attention. You know, they're grabbing guys by their shirts and pulling them into the huddle, even if you're not playing. That I found interesting. But yeah, the bench is, it's kind of a mixed bag. But you're, you're ever rarely just sitting on the bench. Oh, we need to, when I check in, I need to do this. That's kind of your own mental challenge. So you need to be following the game and, you know, okay, if I'm a backup five and I'm backing up Joel Embiid, let's, let's say, okay, what is there? What is the offensive player doing that's guarding? Oh, so the guy that's guarding Joel, what's he doing in the pick and roll coverage? Where can I find gap? Where's he vulnerable? Where's he really good? Is he blocking every shot if you go up weak? Does he bite on pump fakes? You got to watch the flow of the game. That's more a mental exercise individually than, than it is team-based uh, in, in the NBA pro. I don't know about you, but that's kind of my bench spiel. No, you sort of get a, you sort of hit it on the head. Like, you know, usually the veterans are, usually the veterans are sort of further up the bench, I thought, in, in my time in Dallas. 
you know, unless somebody checked out of the game at first and then they were, you know, a vet would go at the end of the bench and then sort of work their way back, you know, closer to the coaching staff. Depends on the guy. Some guys are really in tune in the game. They know everything that's going on. Some guys aren't. Now, what you said about not paying attention in huddles is completely true. Now, with rookies, young guys in Dallas, Don Coxstein, a director of sports psychology, and myself would always talk to the players like, "Who? what are we running and who are we running it to? Because Rick Carlisle was sort of notorious for drawing something up, erasing it, and being like, hey, Johnny, you're in for Charlie, you know, okay. And not explaining what he drew up again. So, you know, we say, look, you got to be in tune on what's going on because it's not like he says, all right, you're in right at the beginning of the timeout, mostly. You know, mo- sometimes he would do it that way, but a lot of times he wouldn't. And again, you're talking about rookies. It could be in the middle of February, you're down 27 at Portland, and this rookie who has never got off the bench all year is his chance to star, you know, because he's going to go in for a while and then he fucks up the first ATO. He's going to get his ass back on the bench. He never, he may never get back. So they got to be engaged. But guy, I mean, it depends on the player. Some guys like, um, you know, Jalen Brunson, Rick Brunson's son, who's, he would play for Dallas when I was there, still does. He'd, he'd be in tuned on everything. He'd be sitting in the front of the bench, you know, like, you know, next to the coaching staff, knows every play that's run. All in tune. There are some guys who never pay attention. They're fucking looking at women or they're looking at, you know, they're just looking around the arena. They're looking at the, you know, they're looking at if, you know, Benny Bagel wins the race in Chicago or, or Cuppy Coffee, you know, and all this stuff. Like, so it, it depends on the player. Some guys are in tune. Sometimes you like to talk to players and say, hey, you know, what are you seeing out there? And they'll know. You know, you get guys like Harrison Barnes, who was always in tune to what was going on in the game. You have other guys that just sort of didn't care. You know, they were just going to get in and do their thing and and get out. It, like you said, it's their own personal challenge. Harrison Barnes, I mean, he was he was so in tune with the game. He got traded and stayed on the bench and was still in tune with the game. <laughs> they were just wanted to make sure he was paying attention. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah. They just wanted to make sure he was paying attention. But, yeah, I mean, it all depends. Folks, you know everybody. Everybody in the league's wired a little bit different. Yeah, no doubt. And I'm, I'm not going to lie. I was, you know, some games I would tune out at times. You're up by twenty, down by twenty. You're like, fuck, this game's over. You, you tune out and be watching the scoreboard and just trying to, you know, not mentally screw yourself too much over thinking the game. And there's times where you're, you're fully engaged. And but there, you know, there were some guys that were just never. Um, there were some guys that were always. So it's, it's a mix. Everyone's different, and that's, that's life and the way things go. But pro, that wraps up a really good episode. I think, um, I really liked that interview with Stat Muse. I think I hope everyone got. You know, some some good knowledge out of how the inner workings of those kind of websites work. Episode th- 34 is is done and follow us on all the social media platforms at Hoop Consultants for Pro. He's doing some great things and taking Q&As from all you plebs. So get on there and give him some shit and at Rogue Bogues on all your social media platforms. Bogues, you heard it here first when these fucking androids come out and, and fucking killing you. Before they kill you, though, they're going to give you the, like, Luka Doncic's PER. You heard it here first. Everybody's fucking laughing about that shit. But I'm telling you, we're going to be we're gonna be in a Terminator movie, you know, coming in about 20 years from now. Well, they'll give you the analytics of how fast the bullet's traveling before it hits you. <laughs> I'll be dead way before then, so I'm good. Don't worry about it. All right, bro. We'll see you next week. Thanks. Later, folks.